speaking of stories, Mr. Steve Shields, you're... It's great to see you, by the way. Oh, well, thanks. I'm it, glad to be here. It's sometimes been a while because we have busy schedules. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. the last time I saw you was at the British Embassy. With the British Embassy. With, with my with two children. Kids. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Enjoyed yep. chatting with your kids. <laughs> yep. Thank you for the compliments for them online. Yeah. Um, your, your story with Korea started in 1975. Well, it actually starts earlier than that. Okay. Uh, Let's go. Which, it, it's it's just kind of how, it's odd how events, you know, happen or get chained together. Yeah. Uh, in high school, yeah. my English teacher thought it was uh, an important part of our life learning to have pen pal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember and and in the pals. old days, yeah. before uh, internet, you actually wrote letters and put them in the post yep. and, you know, sent them back and forth. Yeah. And um, luck of the draw, I got a, a similar-aged young high school student in Korea, a young woman. and uh, That must have been quite exciting. It was – It was. I was excited about yeah, that yeah, because yeah. Here's, uh, here's somebody from a very different place, a different culture. We're in the early 1970s. Yeah. And uh, – I knew nothing really about Korea other than what I knew from history mm-hmm. and the Korean War. Mm. You know, so that and and in you know we were only twenty years out from the Korean War at the yeah. time, so it wasn't that much old history. Uh, so uh, we began corresponding, and we sent each other little gifts of things representative of the culture. My first Korean doll was sent to me by this young like lady. Like one of the little wooden ones in a hammock or something? Yes. Or, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, 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 I know the ones. Yeah, yeah. I still have it. Oh, wow. Um, what, did you, uh, what did you send that was representative of send over a gun? No, <laughs> no that in the Sorry. 1970s, that wasn't so much of a gun culture in America <laughs> yet. Uh, I honestly don't remember what I sent. Um, we were both interested in postage stamps, and so you know we bought some commemorative stamps and sent them to mm. each other. Um, I I I I can remember taking the package to the post office. Yeah, you know we're talking fifty years ago, and but I can't remember what was in that package that I sent her. It had to be an action figure or some kind of a an American mm. style. Maybe it was a Barbie doll or something. Might have been a Barbie doll. Yeah. I just, I don't remember. It's just too long ago. How many uh, letters were going back? Was oh, it just one or two? Or did well, no, we, we corresponded for about two years oh, wow. uh, or so. And, uh, uh, you know, because it was international mail, I had to go to the post office to mail it every time. I couldn't yeah. just put the, you know, stamp on it and mm-hmm. leave it for the postman to collect. But, you know, it was a small town where I lived, and so it was an easy bike ride down to the post office. Mm. It was a couple of miles, maybe, is all. And, uh, you know, I yeah, I knew the clerks at the post office quite well by the time we were done with all this. <laughs> you know, they knew exactly what I was doing when I got there. Um, what I used to like but, about letters is you could reread them. Yes, yeah. You, and you, I would you, do you that. Got I got them. You yeah, get I, them I collected them all. Yeah. yeah. I had them all. I don't doubt that I have them anymore but you know it was um, she she lived in uh, Yongdung Pole of okay. Seoul wow. and her family had a shop in the market they had a stall in the market they mm-hmm. sold fabric okay. cloth and uh, so not uh, they weren't 
poor, poor, mm-hmm. but they weren't wealthy either. Mm-hmm. But but uh, uh, people in the marketplaces that had shops and stalls like that, they, they were able to make do okay. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to go to high school, uh, which in those days was a tuition-based. It wasn't free. Mm-hmm. So if you could send your daughter to high school, you had some money to do okay, that. Yeah. Because, because even in the 70s, if you had to decide between who goes to high school son or daughter the son always had priority Mm. um so that she was able to go to high school was was you know says something about the economy of the family um fast forward a couple of years when it came time for me to do my religious service Mm. luck of the draw again i didn't pick coming to korea Mm. it was picked for me and I'd already had some background now because of my pen pal. Yeah. So I knew a little more about Korea, and I'd done some other reading and whatever. So that that, that pen pal started about 1972, mm-hmm. and by December of 75, I'm on a plane coming to Seoul. Oh, wow. And... Uh, what were some of the other options, do you know? Uh, well, I had no options. Uh, what were ones that could have been picked for you other than Korea? Wherever the church had something. I mean, there could okay. have been a hundred options, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, okay. And, uh, it's very serendipitous. So, so serendipitous or providential, yeah, as yeah. some might say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but it was exciting you know, to, to come to a place that was unknown but not totally unknown because I've had a little bit of you know, knowledge about this. Uh, I didn't tell her I was coming to Korea, though. And uh, after I got here, after I had been here for two or three months, I showed up at their <laughs> stall in the marketplace <laughs> and almost caused a heart attack by the part of, you know. I, we walked into the marketplace. Yeah. I was yet not yet really speaking Korean. I was just learning. Yeah. And uh, the people in the marketplace recognized me. She'd obviously shared over these years photos and things that we'd, sent back and forth and, yeah. and you're, you're quite and, tall and, and, well, and I do stand way. out yeah. uh, especially in a 1970s crowd in Korea <laughs> uh, I was I was a good oh 20 30 centimeters taller than the average Korean yeah so I was tall yeah uh, I used to be able to walk down Chongno and mm-hmm. see all the way down to Chongyangni almost <laughs> over the heads of everybody <laughs> can't do that anymore uh, but uh so anyway, w- went in and met and and you know had some friendship for a while. Yeah. Uh, but um, in the K drama version, you know, you two get married. Yes, I, I would realize <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, but that's I, great that you could actually go and find her and put a face you, you to, know, to all of and, that. Uh, well, you know, we ha- I had the address. I mean, yeah. Uh, even even the old address system, as challenging as it was to find, it was still an address system. Mm-hmm. And there was a logic to it. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, they lived above the market in an apartment, and uh, you know that was their home, their community. I suspect there's high-rise apartment buildings on all that land now, but uh, right. uh, you know, lost track of her. And it's kind of it's kind of weird when I think about it. It's like had I kept in touch with her, what you know might have happened, mm. because now she's if she's still alive, and yeah. I would hope that she is. She's 67 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's an old lady, yeah. as I am an old man. Yeah. And uh, it, it would be, eh, it might be interesting if there was any way to ever track each other down just for the sake of doing that. I, you know, uh, Hopefully she was able to get married and have children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was always a 
was a fun, she was a good friend, fun yeah. friend. And I was too young to realize what I had in the way of friendship. And then there was no romantic inclinations there mm-hmm. at all. It was strictly friendship. Yeah. And I wasn't looking for a woman. Uh, it just it was the luck of the draw in the high school class and uh, uh, luck of the draw of being coming to Korea to do that religious service. And so I came in 75 and uh, feet on the ground on, on December 11th, 1975. That must have been cold. Uh, it, Where were you it, coming from? Sorry, from, was... from Utah. Utah. So weather-wise, it was about the same. Okay. You know, so it wasn't, wasn't a shock, really. Uh, but I do recommend to people who come for a visit, I said, you know, December, January, February is probably not the best time of the year to come to Korea. <laughs> it's a little chilly. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> She's coming over for Christmas again. <laughs> well, there's another reason. She's not coming to Korea. She's coming to see the grandkids. Y- you got that exactly right. Not even me. My son understands when I go visit them, I'm not there to see him. Yeah. I'm there to see yeah. the grandkids, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hank so, told me when he was coming in that you had to, uh, Hank Morris, a mutual friend, that you had to close yeah. curtains on the airplane and security and there was uh, Gatling guns or something. Well, uh, yes, there was, uh, we were under martial law at the time mm. and uh, the window shades had to be pulled and the interior of the cabin was darkened oh, wow. to land because we were, I mean, even though it was Kempo Airport, mm. still not that far from North Korea. Yeah. And... They believed that every plane landing and taking off could have been a target. Uh, so you know there was that, and and you know it was it was odd to get off the plane and immediately be met by gun you know machine mm. gun toting soldiers, yeah. uh, all up and down the hallways of the airport, everywhere you know staircases and all of that, and outside yeah. on the front and all down the roads and at the end of every bridge as we crossed there were yeah. pillboxes on the bridges and uh, it was a, a much different world from the farm towns of Utah where I'd yeah. grown up yeah. <laughs> so but uh, it was fascinating you know it was fascinating to see that I was I was not scared of it some people might be I think so yeah. but uh, and you know the the threat of North Korea was real uh, I mean the, the country was, uh, you know, 20-some years out, all from the, mm. the armistice, and it was just a ceasefire, not not a peace treaty, as we all know. There'd been commando raids. And there'd uh, been commando raids, uh, not, you know, uh, one one raid, um, I think it was about 1968, so yeah, d- a few years one. before I got yeah. here, there was a big commando raid right at, at Chungwa Da, at yeah. the presidential mansion, um, and... Uh, while I was here in the in the mid seventies, we had the uh, the tree cutting incident. Yeah. Okay. At Panmunjom, where where the two U.S. soldiers were mm. uh, killed by their own axes, somehow or another. It depends on whose side of the story you hear. There's some very graphic photos but, of that uh, part the of the photos. Tour really that graphic, you and see, it was yeah. very tense. It yeah. was a very tense time in the city. Uh, in the days following that, the bus people riding buses were silent. Uh, it was very quiet, you know, because people were worried. It was a nervous time. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was the Northwest Airlines freight airplane that veered into the restricted airspace over the city, mm-hmm. and they fu- started firing the anti-aircraft guns at it. Uh, <laughs> so there were a few things like that that yeah. wouldn't typically happen, you know, in a in Utah. 
Utah, especially. <laughs> um, were you based in Seoul? I was. I was. I I spent uh, a few months in Seoul. Then I went south to Chungju, okay, in North Chungcheong Province, and that's where I really began learning the language in earnest. I was partnered with a Korean uh, missionary partner. Yeah, and uh, he his job was to make sure I learned Korean. How did he teach you? He we we just. I, I had a textbook. We had a basic textbook yeah. that we used for some study in the morning. Yeah. He would drill me on what I had studied before, you know, during breakfast or after breakfast. Mm. And then as we went out around the town doing our thing, he would only speak to me in Korean, even though he was a had been a Katusa. Mm-hmm. So he's an English-speaking Korean soldier with the U.S. Army. Yeah. Uh, he would not speak English unless I was about to get hit with a car or something and needed to be moved out of the way. But that yeah. – that, didn't happen often in that little it was a sleepy little provincial town mm-hmm. in those days um, but he was very patient uh, and uh, insisted that I reply to him in Korean even if it was wrong mm-hmm. and he would correct me when I was wrong mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know sitting around uh, the church with some of the aunties because in those in those days you saw very few men at church mm-hmm. uh, women's uh, religion was a women's thing very few men took part mm. uh, in religious activities in those days. Now you have quite a, you know, it's a little more uh, equal parts. But the women were always the ones at the church hanging mm-hmm. out, doing cleaning, whatever. And so I basically learned Chungchengdo anti-language. <laughs> I get it, I get it. And, uh, yeah. So uh, my Chungchang accent is mostly gone now, mm. but but my Ajama Korean yeah. is very prominent. And many people who I've met and and we've talked in Korean, they 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 if they cover their eyes, they think they're talking with an Ajama. <laughs> and it's like I'm not I'm not ashamed of that because that that's be who I really practiced my Korean with yeah. were the aunties, uh, the sisters at church, the yeah. ladies at church. Who were, and still even today, still are very willing to give me the word I'm looking for when I don't know the word, mm-hmm. correct my use of a word or mm-hmm. grammar, and mm-hmm. and I don't mind it at all. I, I'm grateful for that. That's how you learn. Uh, some people feel like they're being criticized. Yeah. Well, it is criticism in a way, but it's constructive criticism, mm-hmm. and so I don't mind it at all. No. Because I want to learn, and I I still. I, I keep a list of new words that I'm learning. Fifty years after the fact, I'm still learning. What's a new one you've learned recently? Chang il jam, taken from Chinese characters. Okay. Uh, it means a single man in a group of nothing but women. <laughs> <laughs> and at That's church, a useful word. I'm often <laughs> the only guy. You know, often I'm the only man there. So. Chang il jam. Chang. Yeah. Il jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. I can, I can. So chung meaning the uh, chung sect, the blue, mm-hmm. which stands for the groom at yeah. a wedding. Yeah. Il meaning one, and jam the a point or uh, position. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, and and I, I'm still learning, uh, you know, religious terminology too. Uh, you're anyone who is familiar with some of the stories of Jesus would know about the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. the feeding of the 5,000, those kinds of stories. Yeah. Well, the feeding of the 5,000, I won't, I won't put you on the spot to find out your Bible knowledge, but there were five loaves of bread and two fishes. 
yeah. at that feeding of the 5,000 story. And, um, but there's words for five loaves and two fishes in Yi Korean. Yi bang yi O bang yi seng. O byang. O byang. Yi o. Yi o. Oh, yeah, that's right. The o no. O. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. O for the fish. Chinese. Yeah, yeah Chinese right. characters. Yeah. So o byang, five yeah. loaves. Byang yeah. is a loaf. Okay. Yi, two, o, fish. I, I never knew that. And I've been doing, yeah. you know, religious work most of my life. <laughs> Have you found that the Korean language, what I found is that it's, the starting point is incredibly easy because we were talking about this coming over in the yeah. car that you can learn Hangul in half a day. You, you can learn it in half a day or a full day at the most. It's easy to learn to read because it's straightforward, phonetic. Yeah. I'll call them letters. They're letters. Yeah. Um, there's some linguistic. linguistic yeah, 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 there's, yeah. I know there's, there's <laughs> technical terminology for all of that. I don't like to call Hangul an alphabet. Okay. Because alphabet comes from the Greek letters alpha beta. Yes. Which is, you know, that that's we call it Roman alphabet mm. or Latin alphabet. Mm -mm -mm. But Hangul is an alphabet only in the sense that the letter shapes themselves have no meaning. Mm. They have sound. Yeah, that's that's. Alphabet's the Western word for that. You know, Jungum uh, was King Sejong's word for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or the writing system for the people. Anyway, you can learn that quickly. Uh, learning what those words mean come a little hard, a little mm -hmm. longer, and and a lot of that has to do with the fact that many words are based on Chinese characters. Yeah, and so the meanings are not spelled out necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, like the word for department store is bek hua jam, mm -hmm. one hundred things store. store. Well, okay. It's a great name. But, but you know, if you just look at Bek Hua Jam, it, yeah. Yeah. to connect that with department store, I mean, that was one of the first words I learned, and I learned started learning about Hanta. We used a lot more Chinese characters in the 70s than is done now. Um, newspapers used to be mixed yeah. script. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, the only Chinese characters you see in newspapers, mostly they'll put in parentheses yes. the person's name or place mm -hmm. name or something. That, mm -hmm. uh, but in the old days, it was lots of, you had to have about 500 Chinese characters to read the daily newspaper. And it was still written uh, top to bottom, and right it was, to left? It was, yep, it was yeah. top to bottom, right to left. So the newspaper opened this way. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it was different, it was <clears throat> different. Uh, even the Bibles were, the two columns were this way, not this way. Okay. And, and so it was, the Bible opened, you know, you top to bottom, you know, right Just to left. Just that alone, I think, must have been really, it uh, was like driving on the other side it of the road awkward. or something. Yeah, it Very was Very disorienting. Uh, it, but, but because Hangul is such a fascinating system, yeah. I mean, it was such a well-done system, you can write it up and down or straight ways or backwards even, and it all yeah. can make sense. Yeah. So it's not like we were taking English words and putting them up and down. That just that would be so It's an acrostic poem or something, isn't yeah. it, they like doing? Um, but, you know, I would carry a, a, a name card. Mm. Uh, we always had name cards, and, but I would carry one in my shirt pocket and on the back, which was usually blank in those days. Nowadays, you see name cards with Korean on one side and English on the other. We didn't That's do right. that. Yeah. I would start the week with 10 new words. And standing on the bus, which we did a lot of in those days, uh, I'd try to learn those new words. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the end of the week. If I had them all down, fine. If I didn't, I carried a few over. Uh, the other thing that I did was to listen to um, radio uh, news broadcast. Uh, we, we had TV, but most people didn't have TVs, and mm-hmm. so radio was a little more practical. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't worried about whether I could understand it, mm-hmm. but I was just training my ears. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and because I was in Chungcheongdo listening to the local Chungcheongdo radio I you know that's where the you know there there's a distinctive you know accent mm. um, can you give us a taste of it can you still uh, remember you just uh, well uh, they they speak a lot more slowly than okay. Seoul yeah and uh, <coughs> uh, oh uh, uh, you instead of Creole Annyeonghashinggaya mm. you know Annyeonghashinggaya you but it's anyway, slower, and the, and the, and the suffixes yeah, and the, are different, it's a little, I guess. a little lilt on the okay. end sometimes. And, uh, but instead of anyang haseo, it was yeah. anyang hashingayo. Anyang hashingayo? Uh, it, it just slight differences. It's not unintelligible. It's just a slight... Anya shu is a different... Uh, and that's something. another... Uh, yeah, they, they have all of these ones. All that yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway... Uh, Listening to the radio trained the ears, and then I was trying to read uh, out of the Bible mm. in Korean mm. uh, for several minutes a day just to practice getting my tongue wrapped around all the syllables and the you know yeah. word changes. And, and then I was blessed with this teacher who, who was very patient and very helpful. And, and by oh, about six months, I could carry my own basic conversation. Yeah. Uh, I could share simply at church if I had prepared some things. I could easily introduce myself, but it's a tough language to learn. Um, the the linguists say that it's uh, for an English speaker, native English speaker, mm. it's it's one of the top five most difficult languages to learn. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, I was here. I was we we were with Korean speaking people most all of the time. Mm. Uh, and and that's you know and that's that's something that's really important if you're trying to learn Korean. Don't yeah. hang out with other foreigners. Mm-hmm. Hang out with Koreans and get them to force you to do yeah. it. Um, when I, I've had uh, students head off to the states or Europe or Canada for university, mm. and uh, they often would come to me as their pastor and need my blessing to leave because they were taking a significant role at church. Yeah. And uh, I'd say, well, there's only three things that you must agree to do, Yeah. and I'll give you my blessing. Oh, yes, pastor, what's that? I said, well, number one, you cannot have a Korean roommate. You must get a non-Korean-speaking roommate. That's, yeah. I said, number two. That's only number one. Yeah, after yeah. your English classes are over, yeah. they're going off. They have to. Use, most Korean kids have to spend a while learning English before they can get into the. They, sometimes they can get right in yeah. from here, but in those days it was a little harder. Back, well, I say those days back in the nineties even. Uh, I said, number two, after class you can't hang out with any of your fellow Korean students. <sighs> and number three, you can't go to a Korean church for the first year you're there. Wow. What and are they, you doing they, to their jong, Steve? They kind of <laughs> yeah. look at me, and and I, and, and uh, one young man yeah. uh, took me the most seriously. He got a Chinese roommate. <laughs> They're both learning English, so 
all they could speak to each other was English. Okay. Uh, he he wasn't 100% faithful about not hanging out with Koreans, but he took it to heart mm-hmm. and didn't. And he went to an, an American of English-speaking church mm. and offered to play organ for them. You know, so so he and he after a year of of really getting his English ahead, he applied for a master's degree program at a university and got in with a scholarship Mm -hmm. and uh, went on later to do Ph.D. work and had a full-ride scholarship from uh, University of Illinois, Urbane, Champaign, Urbana, Mm -hmm. uh, and did his Ph.D. work there. And they even gave him a living stipend as part of his scholarship. So he credits me, bless his heart, for forcing him to really get his English good. Mm And uh, he's not even, he's not 100% perfect right. after all these years. He's yeah. been in the States now for 20-some years. Yeah. Uh, he's a uh, organist for a huge Catholic parish, mm-hmm. full-time musician mm-hmm. for this Catholic parish. They mm-hmm. do 11 masses on Sundays. Oh. It's a multicultural area. Mm-hmm. So there's the mass in Tagalog for the Filipinos, and mm-hmm. then there's the Spanish mass a couple of times. And, and he's doing all the music. He runs several choirs for the parish. Fantastic. And he's done really well. Yeah. Uh, done remarkably well. And he gives me a lot of credit for pushing him with my stipulations on mm. English. Uh, and, you know, I run into Koreans in the States all the time. Mm. Oh, Steve, you speak Korean so well. How come we can't? We've been here 30 years. We can't speak English. And I said, it's because you go to a Korean church. <laughs> you hang out only with Koreans. You go to the Korean supermarket. You, you don't hang out with any English-speaking people. Yeah. You're not going to learn. I, I do joke a little bit. It's, oh, how come you speak Korean so well? And I say, oh, I've eaten lots of kimchi. <laughs> and their response is, oh, so if I eat cheeseburgers, I'll learn English. <laughs> no, but you might get, you might but, get rather big. But uh, well, and you know, even here in the in this country, we have obesity problems with children now because of the Western mm. fast food culture that's brought in, and we've seen the rice consumption dip and the bread consumption go up like crazy lifestyles have changed it's, it's changed immensely it used to be that you, there would be some students in my class or you would see some kind of small people in society mm. i don't say that with any disrespect no, no, but they no, would no, be, no, they I, would be genuinely quite small yes, yeah, yeah now at university no. these kids are towering above they're, me they're, and, you in, know, in just 20 years the 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 current generation their height has just shot up like crazy yeah. it's not unusual for me to be on the subway and see a young kid duck to get in <laughs> yeah and I, I look up and i said holy cow you're taller than me mm-hmm. and i suppose if i stood up he probably would be mm-hmm. but um you know there's uh, all of those things come with with partly you know sanitation yes uh, uh better food better health care mm-hmm. you know that's not the whole story but that's part of it uh and you know when i first came to korea most of the streets in Seoul were not paved. Mm-hmm. Once you got out of the downtown area, there might be one track down the middle of this dirt area it's that kind was kind of like road. a dust road. Then is it? Yeah, well, it was mostly it was mostly mud. You know, really, <laughs> we had so much rain and yeah, okay. snow melt and stuff yeah, in the yeah, winter yeah. that the when I went to Chungju, it was even less developed. It mm. was very rare to find paved roads outside of the city center, mm. and so a lot of walking on dirt roads, uh, dusty in the dry air at times and muddy in the wet times and um, does that affect what people wear then because nowadays everybody's pretty dressed up uh, people people did not have fashion in those days right. it was practical 
rugged wear, mm-hmm. uh, not blue jeans. That kind of stuff was not really available, but mm. but pretty rugged wear. And most people didn't have more than one or two sets of clothes. Mm. For the most, I mean, of course, there was a wealthy class that had you know all this stuff, but but the ordinary people were were pretty plain. The students always had to wear their uniforms, mm-hmm. even when they weren't in school, even on the weekends. They so, were in school on weekends anyway. Well, they, they all day Saturday, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, even if they had a day off to go on a church picnic or whatever, they had to yeah. wear their school uniforms all the time. They were just kinyang haksang. That's all they had yeah. was school uniforms. They had no other clothes. And even in family portraits, the kids are wearing their uniforms. Oh, wow. they, they didn't have dress-up clothes for church. They'd go to church in their uniforms. Mm. And they all had their name tags on. And everybody knew which ones were the students, and if they weren't supposed to be in a place, it was easy to identify them. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, the, the uniforms were not flattering at all. Uh, the, even into the, into the 70s, the boys' uniforms were still very Japanese-style, mm. very old-style mm. uniforms. Uh, the girls had skirts, but they were not. These days, you see these school uniforms with plaid skirts and colors, and uh, it was, it was all black. It's a bit black. like a K-pop video It was coming. all black. Okay. Um, and uh, girls always had bobbed hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we were living in a time in the 70s where there were haircut rules and skirt length rules. Mm. And um, Was that serious? Because I've read about it, it like the serious. Yushin and oh, the, it was serious. the men's hair lengths. Yeah, skirt it lengths. was serious stuff. I, I've seen men pulled off the street into a local police. We called them police boxes in those days, the mm. little corner police station, which we yeah. don't see much of anymore. And they would just shear their hair right there i mean it was just forced haircut yeah and uh so and and measuring with a measuring tape the length of mm-hmm. the girl's skirt from her knee you know up and uh, this was, was for conservatism for conformity do you have a sense it was just for the military style it was a decree from the president yeah chung he uh who felt like uh there was some you know where you know, roll us into the Western world where you have the Beatles and mm. marijuana mm. and we have all the U.S. military here. And, and in those days, we had three times as many U.S. soldiers on the ground here than we do now. So there were close to 100,000 U.S. That troops. many there? Right. It was yeah. huge. Wow. Um, and, you know, this Western liberal influence was disrupting society here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Park Chung-hee would not have it. Uh, and so uh, rules were put in place to to make people be old-style Koreans or not mm-hmm. ad- adopt Western stuff, you know. And it was, it was a battle, culture of war in a way. Mm, a real um, cultural war, yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, older generation, well, at least with President Park, we knew where we stood. We knew what was what, mm. what was what we could do, what we couldn't do. Mm. Now with democracy, it's like, well, you can do this or you can do that. You can vote for that guy or this guy, and it's like, the older generation they don't want it. Yeah, they they would rather, and and I think that's by and large what got Pakune elected was mm. the older generation who longed for the stability of her father's era. Yeah, where. Uh, Young people weren't out of control. Mm-hmm. Consumerism was not the daily fare. Yeah. Uh, the economy was really rolling, starting to really get rolling under Park Chung-hee. It mm. hadn't fully hit its peak yet, but it was starting to roll. 
And so the economy was improving. And by the time Takune comes along, you know, the, the economy had been up and down and, you know, lots of things. And I think a lot of people just hoped that somehow or another mm. that would bring back the good old days. Yeah. Um, Toxic nostalgia was a well, word yeah, I heard. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not saying that, but yeah, it was yeah. a new N- term. Nostalgia, anyway, yeah. but, but toxic in many ways, uh, although many of my older friends would disagree that it was toxic. Yeah, no, no. They, they say, no, we had great hope. But, uh, uh, you know, Pak Chung-hee uh, ruled the country with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you knew where the lines were. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, most of the newspapers didn't need censors. They self-censored. They knew that there were boundaries. Mm. Now, when we got Time and Newsweek magazines from the U.S., you know, pages were missing and halves of pages were cut out and a lot of stuff was blotted out by this huge team of censors hidden away in some probably dank concrete warehouse with black magic markers. but but the local newspapers they they knew where the boundaries were and they they stayed respectful of those boundaries. Was there exercise uh, and songs in the morning? I, I sometimes read oh, about yes, the, yes, the the people yeah. had to because oh, yeah. Pak Chung Yee was a, a military well, was a guy military who guy. woke up at a certain and, time and, and he wanted right. the whole nation to it. That was re- I, when I lived in Chengju. I was about a block away from City Hall. Okay, six o'clock in the morning. The loudspeakers. <laughs> started up oh, and all the city employees were out in the ground in front of the city hall yeah. doing their morning exercise uh, you know and we we had uh, the semaul nore yeah uh, you know and you know blaring in the window now we generally rose around six anyway but yeah. but oh man and, and you know the the nai uh, joguk Written by Pak Chung Hee himself, you know, mm, my, fatherland, my fatherland. You know, yeah, okay, yeah. It's got this, they're all martial sorts of music. The the Yebigun song and Yang To Yebigun, you know, and, and and it helped rally people though. It helped rally them to the cause. Mm. And it, it, Korean people, if nothing else, are hard worker people, hard working people. They if there's a goal, they'll they'll yeah. push for it. it and we still see that in the corporate culture today where the young guys on the team can't go home until the boss goes home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the boss won't go home until late mm. because that that old work style i'm not going to call it a work ethic because i think yeah. it's killing people it yeah. has been but uh, more hours does not necessarily mean more productivity yeah. you know yeah. and, and uh, there's a mis- kind of a disconnect with a lot of corporate culture but but uh, Pac was trying to build a nation and, and it was more than just developing a company to sell products. I mean, mm. at the very basic level of even the infrastructure in a town. And there was an existential threat, and, like you told And then there was the, the existential Korea, threat. Right? Yeah. And uh, we, we, had, uh, we had billboards in South Korea like they have in North Korea mm. with these garish paintings of a South Korean soldier with the Korean flag on his helmet bayoneting a North Korean and they blood were, spurting out. That. and. I knew there were positive oh. ones like Chal Salabose. Oh, there was of. that, but no, that we had the <laughs> Myolgong Tongil billboards. Okay, unification the, stuff. The, you know, destroy communism, yeah. unify the country, and they were pretty graphic. Mm. They were, and we've we've seen that in some of the North Korean. We call them propaganda. Well, we had propaganda here too. Yeah. Uh, but of course, we were right, and they were wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's, 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 as, as the way it always is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, as a young, 
barely out of teenager kid from America, you know, that yeah. was exciting stuff. Um, is it, you know, so. was there more egalitarianism then in the sense that kind of everybody was poor? You were saying the economy hadn't got rolling yet, right. but from my understanding, there was there were rich people, oh, but yeah, for the yeah. most of the people, but, they but they existed in a in a was, smaller economic gap yeah, than what we have yeah, today. Yeah, poverty was rampant. Yeah, uh, most people. Most people were lucky enough to have three meals a day and a roof over their heads, but sometimes those roofs were pretty basic. Mm. Uh, people lived a lot more small mm. than they do now. Uh, I, I was one of my parishioners' homes in the 70s in Chengju, uh, father and mother and three kids, and they lived in a room that's about as big as this studio, half, half of this room. Mm. And... Uh, but Koreans typically slept together anyway. Yeah. There was safety for the family. There was warmth. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a lot of practical reasons for that. Uh, people didn't have a lot of uh, extra clothing. Uh, you know, dress up. You know, many men, even the uh, at the lowest levels of the economy, at least had a coat and a tie they could wear to a funeral mm -hmm. if they need to. Mm -hmm. um, most homes, when they had visitors, could offer a a snack, a heads up. Mm. What Some, kind of snacks were people? Well, it was in the in the season. We had green tomatoes that we'd dip in sugar, apples. That sounds right. Uh, and uh, but families that couldn't offer a heads up were there, mm. and uh, you you had to kind of use your nunchi, nunchi, your yeah. eye, your eyes <laughs> to figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, okay, we need to make sure we're not there anywhere around mealtime so that they don't feel. Mm. Embarrassed or guilty or obligated, and um, and and you know, for a twenty-year-old kid from America, it was hard to figure that all out. Yeah. And I know I made mistakes. You mm. know, I just was fumbling around. I I, I wasn't much outside the farm myself, uh, so we we didn't grow up poor. My dad was a school teacher, but mm. school teachers in America weren't at the top of the levels anyway. But. Uh, I grew up in a home that had a lot more than many Korean families had mm. in the 70s. Uh, How did Korean people react to you in general? So I, I'm sure people around the church might have been quite welcoming, but was there... Most, I've mostly. I've photos, and you were very distinct uh, back most then. Most people were welcoming. Yeah. I was a curiosity when I got outside the city more. Yeah. Uh, a lot of little kids would yell out, Miguk Sara, Miguk Sara. And, <laughs> some uh, still do that to me. And they some, you, you know, you, you get out side of the main city and they do do that yeah but not so much anymore because yeah. yeah. they're familiar with it and and now it's not miguk saram it's wegukin wegukin or migukin yeah and and i would turn that right around on these little kids and i turn around and say hanguk saram hanguk saram <laughs> and they would laugh and go off on their merry way and um sometimes when i've gone to tourist places back in the 70s especially mm. and sometimes even into the 90s uh, I remember being with some foreign guests. I took them down to the folk village in Yongin. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there were some school groups there, you know, as uh, most uh, tourist places, yeah. you know, the school kids have their trips. And uh, these girls came up to me and wanted my autograph. They'd never met a white guy mm. in person. Wow. And they, was, they, they were quite curious about yeah. that. And my guests who were with me, they were like, What's going on here? Is Steve a celebrity? I'm only a celebrity because I'm pink. <laughs> <laughs>
and and you know had to explain you know i mean i don't know that there's too many places now in the country you can go where a, a white guy or a black guy or a southeast asian guy is going to be a curiosity at all yeah uh, i was just down in Chengju last week mm -hmm. and we went to an uzbekistan restaurant mm. and i was the only white customer mm -hmm. and my friend was the only korean customer mm -hmm. the rest were all uzbeks who'd come in for lunch, who work somewhere in the neighborhood of yeah. uh, in businesses or whatever. And uh, it's like, I'm looking around, and I'm like, wow, there's the, you know, and, and my friend said, oh, Steve, let me, after lunch, I'll take, there's a whole neighborhood in Chengju now that everything's in Cyrillic. Amazing. And and they're not Russians, they're Uzbekis or Kazakhs, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. have come in to, for employment mostly. And there's yeah. a, lots of factories, you know, now in Chengju and, all that there's ties there. Yeah. I, in fact, we were looking for a Thai restaurant one day. Mm -hmm. Came upon several that said, "This establishment is for Thais only. Koreans aren't welcome." <laughs> <laughs> a bit of revenge for you. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, yeah. I'll go When we found out, it was yeah. they're basically clubs for the Thais to after work to be able to yeah. you know yeah. let their hair down and, yeah. and do Thai stuff. Yeah. And it and it's not so much that you know, they're going to be racist, but they just need a place that's kind of their hangout place. I get it. To be able to speak in Thai and, mm -hmm. and you know, eat Thai food that no, most non-Thais would never eat mm. because it's so unfamiliar. There's some really unfamiliar Thai foods. If you've been a tourist in Thailand, you've mm -hmm. never seen the Thai food mm -hmm. that Thai people eat. Mm -hmm. Pad Thai is not the daily fare. No, I don't You know, there's not. other stuff that's a little different. Um, but... You know, we've become so cosmopolitan, and, and there's just so much of that stuff going on. Uh, but uh, these days, you, we were talking in the car about seeing beggars. Mm. Uh, you know, in the 70s, every landing on the subway staircases, the flat landings between levels, yeah. there was a beggar or two. Wow. Uh, in, in the downtown area. Did they do the same uh, thing that I used to see them do where they wouldn't yeah, show their yeah, face? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly. They're, was, they're bowed down in yeah. a little cup or something in front. Because in England, the beggars would yeah. look at you and go, morning, mate, got yeah. a spare change or something. Yeah, yeah, they would yeah, make eye contact yeah, and right. greet that, them. Yeah, that, that's Korea, a very Western always... style. That's a, it's humiliating. Right. It's humiliating. <laughs> and and to, be, to be pushed to the point of having to beg here uh, was, was, a, it was desperate. I guess it shows social exclusion or something. It shows like that wangta isolated thing, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but I, I had an English class once that, that did a kind of an English exercise about the single beggar on the staircase by City Hall. Mm. If how many people were passing by every day using the subway, and if every hundredth person gave them ten one or something, how much money they would make in a day or something. <laughs> Uh, it was just an exercise in practicing English and numbers and yeah. math, you know. But it's a bit of a tongue twister as well. A bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it's probably not every hundredth person, but every thousandth person might give something yeah. or less than that. Mm. And uh, uh, you know, uh, there was not a lot of suspicion in those days that these people were just conning. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you kind of sometimes wonder, you know, is it a con? Is it real? Is it a real need? Mm. Uh, 
Not but back then it was genuine Back then, poverty. generally mm. speaking, you could, you know, it was kind of genuine. But, but nobody had spare change because everybody was barely scraping by. Was society a bit rougher back then? So there's this idea of the civilizing influence that now society is quieter, there's less spitting, there's less shouting. Of course, it's still boisterous, but I... It's boisterous, but... I, I sometimes get the idea and what people have told me or, or from reading and watching old things that it was a lot louder a lot more physical a lot yeah, i would i would guess so yeah we you know spitting was was commonplace mm. on the sidewalks i mean you, people would just you know blowing their nose with they'd put one finger yeah. in the nostril and just blow it out on the sidewalk we don't see that much anymore a no. uh, lot of uh, side streets and lesser populated streets on the walls or surrounding the buildings they would have a sign that said, don't urinate here. <laughs> and occasionally there would be a pair of scissors painted on that sign <laughs> uh, because drunks in the night, without, you know, there, there was no public uh, restrooms. Right. And, and they would just pull up to a wall and, you know, you had to survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, nowadays, you know, we have public restrooms everywhere. Yeah. We've got big buildings with restrooms in the lobby or, you mm -hmm. know, up the first and a half floor or whatever it's not hard to find restrooms mostly no. uh, most uh, eating establishments have access to those facilities in those days it, we had lots of street food lots of street booze mm. uh, more, more pojang matcha the tent type food mm. places almost everywhere uh, all the way down Zhongno in the evenings the whole street was filled mm. with these tent uh, places you don't see them haven't seen them for a long time on downtown city streets health and safety isn't it it's all well, i guess all convenience it's, it's cold well there there's a lot of health and safety issues about mm. it uh and the government's really upped its game on uh, uh you know health checks of restaurants mm. and sanitation and all that we used to have a terrible rat problem in in the city mm. and and i I kid you not, some of those rats were as big as cats. I wow. mean, they're just, some of them were just huge. When was this? When, when In the 70s. Okay, yeah. And uh, there was a lot of, be, and because the Pojang Matcha, a lot of the food litter would end up on the sidewalk. Mm. It's, a, it's a magnet for vermin, you mm. know. Mm. So a lot of that cleanup has to do with getting rid of the vermin because people knew that rats were bringing disease yeah. into the you know, daily lives of people. Uh, and uh, so, you know, places to dump trash was clean. You know, there used to, any empty lot used to be a trash dump, mm. and the people would just throw the trash there. Did they have trash bins there? They don't have trash bins today. This is still not. We didn't have trash metal bins. tin or something. Uh, yeah, some basic, you know, oh. thing. Uh, the uh, city didn't have a, a really well organized collection trash collection system like we do now. Mm. Uh, people still try and get away with not buying their bags. They take their trash down to the subway station and try and sneak it in the <laughs> public trash cans, which is not the intent of them. Yeah. I, I, I was, the other day there was a column in the Korea Times that was, uh, or an article about how the, the tourists are complaining there's no trash bins around town. Yeah. And, well, the city deliberately got rid of them all uh, because it became an eyesore and... A, a magnet for vermin. Mm. Well, now the city's talking about putting more back in yeah. because people are just leaving their trash on benches and at bus stops. You find a little mountain oh, of Americano cups, always, don't you? Always. Somebody will put one down and then you know, somebody else. And, and, and it's like 
collection. You know, I'm going to carry this trash with me out into the city with my drink, but I expect the city to provide a place to put it. Mm-hmm. Which the city was trying to say, you know, you bring your trash in, you take it back. Mm-hmm. You go to a national park camping area, that's what it is. You yeah. know, wh- whatever you bring in, you have to take out. Right. Um, so, you know, and it goes back and forth. You know, well, yeah. Not having the litter on the streets would be a benefit, but then the city has more cost in managing and maintaining those trash bins and uh, mm. the people to collect, you know, and, and clean that up. Uh, I, I think the the garbage bag system that we have, where you buy a little packet of trash bags and you fill them up and yeah. set them out on the street, uh, just you know, in in my neighborhood, you know, the you pu- we put our recycling out, and the cardboard guy comes by and picks up his cardboard. The yep. plastic guy comes by and picks up their plastic. The the city trash collectors, they can just throw those paid for trash bags up in the mm-hmm. in the truck, and uh, we have clean, beautiful streets these days. You know, just, and no rats, and and well, oh, fewer and, rats. I've I've seen a few somewhere <laughs> down, down in the uh, near where the RAS office is on Tang No, I've in yeah. some of the side alleys around right. all those eateries, I've occasionally at late at night I've seen some rats there. You know, my but, international students, Steve, they sometimes say the biggest culture shock in coming to Korea is the recycling. Yeah. Because it's not only complicated, more complicated it's not that complicated, it's more yeah. complicated than what they're used to. Yeah. But on top of that, there's this sense that you're always being watched when you do it. <laughs> that if you get it wrong, like there's there's a security guard watching you yeah. and if you get it wrong, yeah. they're gonna put up a note in the elevator yeah. with a photo that said, Who did this? Yep. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be sort of publicly shamed. Yeah. For getting it wrong. That's, that's how community works. <laughs> <laughs> Through shame and well, observation. Shame, shame, yeah, shame's a big motivator. Yeah. Uh, you I, talked about pill boxes on the street, these police ones. Did they have oh, shame boxes? No, I, I, I don't remember any of that. Because okay, I've seen those photos. I've heard about it. Well, I, 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 there could have been. I, I know... Uh, that if you if you jaywalked or something, they would give you a little flag and you'd have to stand at the corner of the street for an hour or something like that. I don't remember a shame box per se, and and even the police boxes were really not a little box. It okay. was a it was a, a building. We just called them police boxes. Okay, but it was Pachulso. Mm. So it was a, the, the neighborhood police station, mm-hmm. uh, and they were very often one or two story buildings. And there was a front lobby and a desk clerk and a couple of offices for the officers there. And uh, uh, you know, so we called them police boxes. I don't know. Right. Now, back in the in the early twentieth century, they they were literally you know a little guard house that one man could stand in, mm. Uh, mm. and so it was really a box. You know, I mean, it was basically yeah. just a small uh, shelter. Even today, the police stations are often on little corners, aren't uh, they? Yeah. Really little ones. It, yeah. not, not even a space for the police car to park there right, almost, right. Yeah, but yeah, they've, they've yeah. got that. Yeah. Were you here when, um, I want to ask if I can, a couple of questions about Patangi, yeah. just while we're here, because you've yeah. spoken about yeah. it a bit and my yeah. curiosity is peaked. Yeah. Uh, the first one is that I get the impression from what I'm reading that Patangi, for, for all that he did, he, he, he didn't put a lot of money into his own pocket. He didn't build statues of himself and siphon off all the nation's money and become sort of a, a, a dictator. So I, I wonder if you have an impression of that. Second one is, what was it like when he died? Because we see all the uh, photos from North Korea with the people and all oh, their fake tears or, or this when Kim Il-sung or yeah. Kim Jong-il goes. Yeah. Do you have any observation about that transition time as well? Um, uh, as far as... I've ever read oh. and learned and heard 
Park Chung-hee was not big on himself. Mm. Oh, yeah, we had his photo in all the public buildings. Even at church, we had to have his photo in our hallway with along with the Korean flag and the photo of the president. Uh, we uh, Newsreels in the movie theaters. Before we saw the movie, there was always, oh, President Park visits the new Pohang steel plant, and President Park does this, and President Park... It was basically that's a bit North, North Korean. Isn't it was, it? It was, yeah. w- there was not a lot of difference right. here, except that we had American flags down here, and the North Koreans had Russian flags mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but the the style of venerating and focusing on the leader was really important. Did they call him Kaka? Kaka, Kaka yes, is yeah, like Kaka. your excellency or something? Your excellency. It's or, not president, is it? it well, Tetong Young is president, right. so it was, uh, you know, my lord president. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. You know, if we were in a British system, you know, uh, my my lord, the judges are called my lord. Yes. You know, it's, it's kind of that sort of a, really a high level of respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Kim Young Sam who finally got rid of that mm. and said, "Let's just say Tetong Young Nim," mm. which is a common honorific. Yeah. Gaka meant, you know, yeah. just next to the emperor, kind of. I yeah. mean, really high level. But but that was what they knew in those days. You mm-hmm. know, Sing 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 Man had done that, and you know, so it was just carryover from what was being done. <coughs> um, unlike. Lee Sung Man, mm. Park Chung Hee did not have his face on any of the money. Mm. Uh, he did not build statues all over the place. There were statues of Lee Sung Man in all the schoolyards, and I mean, there was millions and millions spent on statues of Lee Sung Man wow. because every schoolyard had statues. There were public parks with his statue, and uh, you know, his, his face stared at you from all the paper money. Mm. Are there many of uh, those statues of still left? No, they're all gone. They were gone. They, they've all they were Knocked many down. of them destroyed. Yeah. There might be one or two left in a museum somewhere, but mm. they were they were erased fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what happened in uh, in uh, Afghanistan. Mm. Not a, no, 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 Iraq, no, no, no when Iraq. I mean, the Iraq when they toppled of, the statue yeah. of, of Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Um, uh, but Isung uh, uh, Man, uh, just about every paper money that was printed by the Bank of Korea once the Korean War was over, mm. had his face on it. Oh, wow. There was one that was designed American style with the portrait in the center, yeah. uh, having, have, after having a few bills with the portrait on the left side. The one in the center, Lee Man hated because people would fold their money yeah. and it would put a crease down his face. <laughs> and so he, he outlawed that and then they started putting his portrait on the right. <laughs> there were even coins with his face on them. Um, oh, wow. The, the, Have you got uh, any of those? The, oh, yeah, yeah. The the one hundred Juan coin mm. was Juan. had Ising Juan. Yeah. The the currency was one and then Juan mm. and then one again. Well, mm. we, uh, during the Japanese, it was the Japanese pronunciation of yen, but the Chinese characters all pretty much the same. Okay. Uh, and uh, was Nyang. Nyang was the earlier version version of the money. Okay. Uh, and and it was a measurement of silver. That makes sense. Uh, okay. So. But Park Chung Hee didn't build the statues. Like Park Chung Hee didn't did, do that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he was in command. There was no question. Mm. And you never asked questions. Mm. You never criticized. Uh, some of his closest advisors were allowed to offer opinions. Mm. Uh, when he wanted to build the expressway between Seoul and Pusan, mm. it was going to cost hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars 
in the 70s. Mm. Uh, some of his advisors said, oh, Mr. President, don't we need more thing, other things more important than that? Uh, I mean, they had to be careful with their criticism or mm. they were out. But uh, he, said, he said, no, he said, we need the highway. Mm. The factories are all here in Seoul. The port is in Pusan. Mm. And he was building an export economy. You had to get the goods to the ships. And Incheon was, uh, Incheon's not a great freight harbor mm -hmm. because of the high tide problem. Right. Yeah. And, and Pak knew that. They said, but there's the train. He said, the trains are too slow. Because there were no high-speed trains in those days. Mm. The trains of the 70s stopped at every little village. And it could take 12 to 18 hours to get to Pusan mm -hmm. from Seoul, mm -hmm. which was faster than walking, faster than a horse cart. Mm -hmm. But with the highway, he could get freight trucks. Uh, in, in those days, you could actually drive from Seoul to Pusan in under four hours because mm -hmm. the traffic was so little. We only had two lanes each way <laughs> in yeah. those days, too. And now we've got does. five or six lanes each way in some parts of that number one expressway, and you still take hours and hours to get there. But, mm -hmm. uh, but his, his vision for what the country could become mm. was incredible. His methods, I think most would say, are questionable mm. uh, because it was a heavy-handed methodology. And I'm not saying he should have a committee, make a majority, you know, whatever, but, but uh, he simply had the power to decree uh, whatever. Mm. And uh, so subway line number one was built by decree. Uh, there was no, no haggling at all mm. about that. So no, we're, we're going to build it. There was no train through the city. Chungyangni was the train station on the east, and Seoul mm. Yok was the train station on the west. Okay. There was nothing that connected the two, and so subway line number one was the connector. And it had to go underground because there was no room otherwise to build it. Mm. So that was built by decree. Mm. President Park said, we will build subway. Here's the paperwork. Go get it done. Mm. And uh, property owners were not compensated fairly. Property was just simply taken and, you know, for the good of the nation. Mm. Um, so the methods were, uh, you know. There was some opposition. I mean, Kim Dae-jung and Kim Yong-sam, they survived they, they, that They era. luckily survived all of that. Yeah. Uh, but it was not easy for the, either one of those men. Right. They, there was a lot of, they, they had a hard time. Kim Dae Jung yeah. carried the limp until Kim Dae Jung, you know, days, was to the day he died, you know, yeah. was was uh, not quite handicapped, but pretty close to it because mm. of his uh, injuries to his leg. Mm. Uh, Kim Young Sam did not quite get the same bad treatment. Mm. Uh, he wasn't quite as vocal as Dae Jung mm. as DJ was, I guess. I don't know. But that both of them became successors of Pak Chung Hee is kind of a testament to their tenacity. Agreed. Uh, of of saying, you know, we have a different view yeah. of what our country can be, um, and and both of those men were democratic in any way you want to define that. Um, their predecessors uh, had, by and large, not been. Mm. Uh, even Lee Sung Man was not a democratic right. president. Uh, there was assassinations and that going on from the Yusung man, from what I read and understand. Well, we don't know who was doing those assassinations, but but Yusung man made just as good a use of the Sodemun prison as the Japanese had. <laughs> so did Chan Du Huan. So did Pak Chang Hee. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that history. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, 
anyway. What um, was it like when uh, Park Chung-hee when, went? When, when, uh, when the news came that he had died, I, I had worked uh, for a while for the um, Economic Planning Board under uh, Vice uh, Premier Nam dak is that right? Nam Duk Woo was, was probably, he probably would still be considered the preeminent Korean economist. Is this the one that used history. to smoke a pipe with a board? Am I thinking a different Korean economist? I don't remember him smoking oh, oh, a pipe. Okay, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Um, anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Uh, uh, Vice Premier Nam had been educated at University of Oklahoma in the U.S. Mm. Um, and was... He was the brains behind the successive five-year economic plans. Mm. Uh, he put that all together. And uh, President Pak would come down to the Economic Planning Board offices, which in those days were housed in the Ministry of Finance mm-hmm. building, which was next door to the U.S. Embassy. The current U.S. Embassy Chancery was the – now it's the, minist- the uh, Museum of Modern History. Next door to the USM, I think it's the Modern History Museum or That's, something like yeah, that. Anyway, that, that sounds that, right. That, yeah. had, that had been, uh, the, both of those buildings had been built by USAID, the, the uh, assist, Development Assistance Organization. Mm. Uh, one of the built, the northern building had been returned to the Korean government in the early 60s, like 1959 or 60 maybe. Park Chang-hee used that as his office mm-hmm. when he threw uh, overthrew the government. That was the headquarters of the uh, the Supreme Council for National Reconstruction. I can't remember just what it was called in English. The, that was Park Chang-hee's mm. office right next to the other USAID building, which in the early 60s was the U.S. Embassy moved into that building when USAID finished their mission here. Um, so... Uh, Ministry of Finance ended up in that building, and, and my office th- was on the floor with, with the Vice Premier Nam's office and, and the functionaries of the Economic Planning Board. Uh, they, how they how were, did you get into that, Steve? Well, that seems very strange from the countryside of Chungcheong, though. Or do I not ask this, this, this question? This is a, you know, a couple, three years later. Yeah. Uh, I, I had taken a job as a copy editor at the Korea Times. That was, what, 77? In seventy. My research said seventy-seven. Must have been seventy-seven. And you know, I, my job was to pull the uh, faxes or the telefaxes off of the wire services, yeah, and and edit them a bit for publication. Mm. Uh, I also did some copy editing of the uh, native uh, journalist. Uh, when I say native, I don't mean Korean people, but mm. the, you know the typewritten. Mm-hmm. Uh, articles that you know I would do some copy editing correct some grammar and we didn't have computers you know so they were clacking away on typewriters and the telefax you know teletype what was it called the teletype I'm not sure they were rattling off in the corner yeah Uh, it wasn't fax yet it was type teletype but AP and UPI and Reuters those typical Mm. wire services uh, I was probably one of the first people in the world that knew that Elvis Presley had died Mm. I, I pulled that teletype right off the machine as soon as that went out on the wires, and uh, that was big news. Uh, one day in the newspaper, in the Korea Times, there was a little ad for, we need an English copy editor yeah. at the Economic Planning Board. So it was just across the street, practically, in those days. And so I walked over and applied, and they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I spent several months working there. Yeah, uh, They did a, 
a, a, a monthly English language economic report, mm. basically for to to foster investment in Korean businesses and industry, and uh, occasionally. Uh, uh, Vice Premier Nam would have me help him with a letter that he needed to write in English, even though his English was absolutely superb. Mm. Uh, he he wanted to have a double check from a native speaker, yeah. and and uh, you know it was it was really great to get to know those kinds of people. Well, President Park would come to our office once a month for his economic briefing, mm. uh, and uh, we uh, we knew he was in charge, and we knew that he didn't want any bad news. And so the, econo the economy was always rosy and delightful and, oh, wow. oh, it's just here and there. And uh, people had gotten to the point, especially after his wife took a bullet at yeah. the National Theater that day in, uh, was that 74, I think it was? It was August, August yeah, 15th, it was Liberation yes, it was Day, 74. Liberation Day, they I were think. inaugurating <coughs> this new National Theater on yeah. Namsan. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 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 you know, the man had ice for blood. I mean, you know, you see the KBS video of that thing. They, they take his wife off stage, and he stands back up and continues his speech Finishes as if nothing had happened. Uh, just, he was just, had nerves of steel. I heard he started uh, wearing sunglasses and getting a bit more paranoid after he, that. He'd <coughs> always been wearing sunglasses. Oh, okay. He'd always worn sunglasses. Yeah. He didn't want people to see his eyes. His eyes were scary. Really? <laughs> Did you ever spend in the same room with him? Yes. Or? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. He he was a very short man compared to me. Yeah, uh, but even shorter than many of his contemporaries. He he was rather small, uh, had a good handshake, mm. uh, but his eyes just were like drills, you know. Oh, really? And he actually had some not bad English. He could have a basic conversation and pretty mm -hmm. decent English. He he was you know he was not educated academically. He was educated militarily. But, yeah. But, you know, he, he had to have some English to work in the Korean military. Did he have some charisma uh, like when he walked in there and people... Well, whether it's charisma or culture, but yeah. it was very formal. Yeah. Very formal. And uh, the, the row of people to shake hands with and, you know, and mm -hmm. this and that and the other. Uh, he would always say something little to each person. You know, I mean, he, you know, so he kept up this decorum. Yeah. Uh, but you knew who was in charge. And, of course, he had the preeminent chair in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but even in 78, mm. um, I, I was feeling a bit uncomfortable in that role because they were making up economic indicators that weren't quite kosher, mm. if I can borrow a Jewish word. Yeah. Um, and it was like, you know, and, and I picked up on, on a couple of documents where he'd wanted to go down country to check out how Samao, the new community movement, was going in a certain area. Mm. And because he was so paranoid, the security people would say, well, it'll take us a few days to get that prepared. We'll get back to you and set up the dates. Okay, fine. And he, he would never follow up quickly. It wasn't... Mm. They'd send a whole crew in, and they'd completely bulldoze a village and rebuild the whole thing, and then they'd take him to see that village, oh. but not the one around the corner of the hill, mm -hmm. which was still living in straw thatch, you know, stuff, because of security reasons. You know, that was always the excuse. Well, I, I want to check out the next village. Or, well, no, Mr. President, we didn't plan for that. You know, mm -hmm. it's not secure. Okay, we better get on the helicopter and go back to Seoul. And it was like they were hiding bad news from him. Mm. And, and the economy was not great in 78. It, there were some signs that we were in trouble mm -hmm. economically. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So when the news came in October of 79 that he'd been killed, I knew immediately two things. Number one, it was somebody on the inside who had done it. Because mm. at first there was speculation of another North Korean commando raid and all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two was, holy crap, we're in trouble. Oh. <laughs> because who could fill his shoes? Not, uh, che Gyu-ha, who became president by virtue of being prime minister, yeah. was a wonderful gentleman, <coughs> but was not a strong leader because Pak didn't want strong leaders around him. Mm. He, he, you know, he was, and I'm not demeaning Che Gyu Ha. He, he was a wonderful man. He was a brilliant politician. He understood what was going on. Mm. Uh, he was a good man. Mm. Uh, and then when they had the election, because the Constitution allows for only 60 days between, you know, he was elected with a resounding majority, mm. which wasn't wasn't too difficult. I mean, there was some opposition candidates, and it was probably Young Sam or or Dejung. I I don't mm. remember anymore. Uh, but it was clear that he wasn't going to be able to. I mean, w- I think most of us knew from the outset he wasn't going to be able to hang on to it. Yeah. Uh, Chen Duhuan was not the immediate suspect, but uh, that became clear pretty quickly. And um, uh, you know, Chen Duhuan basically did what his mentor had done, because Chen Duhuan and No Teu mm. were the next generation down from Pak and had been kind of the colonels when he was a general. Yep. So there was a little bit there. And so, you know, he was, he was a key leader. Um, was Chen Duhuan right or wrong? Uh, you know, that, how, how can you judge right or wrong? Um, I think if you look at all things being equal, uh, there would would have been some real concern with Che Gyu-ha as president, trying to fill Pak's shoes and not being built cut from that same cloth. You know, mm-hmm. so you could maybe get argument that way. Mm. Uh, you could argue other ways too. Um, Chen Duhuan was as bad as, if not worse, than Pak was in his methods, mm. uh, and. Uh, you know, over the next seven or eight years, um, the the things that really pushed the economy were the Asian Games of 86 and the Olympics of 88. Mm-hmm. And so it, we headed into this era of planning for those events mm. because you have to have several years. And um, It was lots, awarded in 81, I think, the Olympics. Something like that. Baden, yeah. Baden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <coughs> but that's when the Han River got cleaned up. Mm. The parkways began to be built. When the Riverside Highway, the the Olympic Highway on the yeah, south side Olympic of the river Terror. got built, mm. uh, and it was Highway Number Eighty Eight. So, I mean, and 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 all of the foundations that Pac had built economically started to play, pay out. Yeah. So so we come through the eighties into the 90s with this economy that was just steamrolling down the down the countryside and uh, you know the economy just was booming yeah um, so uh, you know I mean there's maybe a role for a strong leader uh, a, a less than democratic leader True. even though we called them all democratic because they weren't communists mm, 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 mm. Uh, but 
uh, the Yushin Constitution of 1972 was certainly not a democratic balance, not a balanced democratic document. Yeah. There were vestiges of democracy in there, but when mm-hmm. Pac could pick, head pick one third of the National Assembly, <laughs> it's like, okay, well. No. Um, Korea got rich before it got democratic. That, that's, I think that's, that's right. The, the, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's really that's really correct. On Lee Taeyong's documentary, Steve, <coughs> yeah. he does all this footage work. You might know <coughs> as well from the RAS. He's got this footage work where it says from the 80s that during the late 80s, coming up to 87, 88, 80% of South Koreans considered themselves middle class at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had this rising middle this class. Rising Everyone was rich. They were yep. getting into stocks. They, they, could, they got rich, and then they got the democracy. Yeah. Uh, Chun did some good things. He made uh, education free through high school. Mm. That's a real benefit. I mean, I he knew. He got rid of all the hagwons, didn't he? he and yeah, he got rid well. of the hagwons, this yeah. this elite school stuff. He got rid of all that, and that's all come back in. Yeah. And not only do we have hagwons, we've got all these elite schools, these international schools, the foreign language schools, that the only people who can go there are the ones who have money. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of public education was to get rid of the elites. Um, and and Pac himself was not an elite. No. Uh, you know, he, he had... Uh, come from a very poor family with many kids, uh, started being a school teacher, uh, you know, early on in, in his life during, you know, uh, the time he was, in the, and then saw that a career in the military was really a good economic choice. But unfortunately, it was the Imperial Japanese Army, mm. because that was the only army there was. That was the only government there was here. And to look back and, and criticize people for surviving, I think, is a little disingenuous. I agree. Uh, not all, you know, Koreans, people, it doesn't matter who they are. They have to survive. They have to feed their kids. They have mm-hmm. to feed their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no matter what, whether it be the Japanese, whether it be Pak Chung-hee's dictatorship or Chun Doo-hwan's dictatorship, if you're going to have a business, you got to follow the rules of whoever the prevailing government is. And I know that my opinion is not a very popular opinion because mm. we're supposed to hate those 35 years of Japanese rule mm. and criticize anything about them. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's just not not really an objective analysis of people, of anthropology. Uh, so, yeah, Pak was trained by the, the, the J- Japanese army because that was the only army that was prevailing in Korea. He was arrested uh, and sentenced to death for communism at one stage yeah. in his early life, I believe, as well. Park yeah. Tungy, wasn't he? Yes, I do recall an incident yeah. there. Uh, I remember well, hearing one story that his mother tried to abort him because she already had so many kids that she jumped off. She would jump off a wall, but the puck tongue in the belly would refuse to die. It's a good story. But it, it was it was but, meant to show the yeah, the his, destiny his, of the yeah, man. Yeah. You know? Well, I he he had. It was a huge family. It was a huge family. I, I agree with you about pragmatism yeah. and ideological purity, though, because it's yeah. very easy to have ideological purity yeah. in a vacuum when yeah. you don't exist yeah. in such a situation. I recently had um, uh, Dr. Kim Kyung Jin, Sam Denny's friend, uh-huh. come on. He told me he survived the Korean War mm-hmm. by teaching North Korean songs. That's how he and, and he sang the North Korean songs on here with me. But how interesting. You yeah. survived, don't you? You had to survive. You, you have to get to through somehow. Uh, a, a good friend of mine who also survived the Korean War, uh, he, he lived here in Seoul, was a student. He just started his freshman year at Seoul National University. Mm. Uh, and 
first semester is finished. North Korean you know, invasion happens June 25th. He and his brother and his father went down country into hiding because the North Koreans were rounding up able-bodied yeah. males to yeah. force them into their army. Uh, by November of that year, uh, they made their way to what we now call the Pusan perimeter, mm. where, where basically all of the Republic of Korea had been squozen into the lower quadrant of the country. Squozen is a beautiful word. Squozen, squeezed. <laughs> uh, no, I love it. I can correct your grammar on paper. <laughs> I can't speak it properly. Uh, uh, that was all that was left of Korea, just but, that but last it was just, slither. You know, yeah. you just had that little part of, of Gyeongsang yeah. so, that was left. Daegu yeah. and Pusan were it. Yeah. And he made his way there. And because he was a smart young man, he was 19 at the time, mm. uh, he, growing up during the Japanese era, he spoke Japanese. He had learned some Russian mm. uh, and could read and write Chinese characters quite well because in his era there was you know, yeah. a lot of use of that. And he also taught himself to speak English, mm. self-taught. Wow. So he, he, that was found out, and he was made as a translator, an interpreter, for the artillery. Uh, and they, they'd have the forward spotters, you know, with their binoculars yeah. hone in on a target. Yeah. He would interpret that back to the U.S. military people who were running the big guns at the time because yeah. there were no Koreans that could run them yet. Yeah. He was interpreting the, after six months, the things got organized to where he went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma as the interpreter for the first cadre of Korean artillery guys and ended up staying the whole war there. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, so he survived yeah. uh, the Korean War by being able to keep teaching himself English and being lucky to, you know, get out of the Seoul area to where he wasn't, you know, uh, conscripted by the North Koreans. Um, you know, and they're, they're this, those stories, there's, you could fill books with those kinds of stories. And he's 93 this year, and I'm afraid that story's going to be lost uh, because uh, it's like, you know, nobody's really mm. paying attention to what it was like. Language is so important, isn't it, Steve? We started talking about started language talking, on this, but yeah, we did, yeah, when but you if, when you can communicate with somebody, it brings you closer to them. Yeah. It, it, it makes you useful. Yeah. It allows connection, yeah. and you don't need to get every preposition yeah, and article no, right. It, it doesn't matter it doesn't as, as long as you understand. But yeah. when that boundary exists between yeah. you and other people, that yeah. linguistic boundary, then you get cultural boundary and you get all the others and that come the others with that it come i with think it. Yep. yeah yep. so that, that, that language yeah. is so important it, it is and it you know uh, even if you can only learn a few phrases mm. uh, years ago in a place where i lived there was a uh, a kurdish family that had uh, sought asylum in the u.s mm. uh, they were in the the syrian part of of where the kurdish people live kurdistan if you will and uh so I, you know, I learned to greet him mm. in Arabic, and to say thank you. Yeah. And that's all I could speak in Arabic. Yeah. But you know, every time I came in the shop, and I'd say "Salam alaykum." Yeah. And uh, he was just, you know, oh, there, here's a guy in this town where nobody, there's no other Arab-speaking people, Arabic-speaking people, and he's trying. And uh, some of their pastries are just to die for. <laughs> but, uh, and if you eat too many, you will die. But, but I mean, 
you know, just for that. Yes. To just learn that little bit of stuff, uh, it, it goes a long way with building friendships, relationships. Yeah. Um, one word can lead to another. One word leads to another. And w- w- during the summer, we had the World Boy Scout, well, not Boy Scout, it's Scout Jamboree because it's now, now uh, a non-binary organization. This is a very sensitive subject. Uh, I wasn't expecting no, you no, to no. bring this up. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about language. We had yeah. a group of church folks, yeah. of our denomination folks from Tahiti, come. Uh, six boys, teenage boys, high oh. school age boys, and their leader, who's a woman. And, and because I have the connection with church, I know all of their families. Mm. I've been to Tahiti, mm. and uh, I knew this woman, known her for several years. And uh, she speaks only French. Okay. A few words of English. Mm. Most of the boys speak only French. <laughs> Because they're they're just first year in high school or third year in middle school age kids, and they live in a French place. Tahiti's part of France, yeah. so they don't teach English in school as their major language. French people don't like English. <laughs> and, well, but the, the, uh, yeah, there's right. a little uh, a bit of stuff there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so my church folks here, who no one can speak French, were quite worried. What They're going to stay with us for several days before the yeah. event, yeah. and our role was to give them some sightseeing and things like that. And I said, folks, don't worry. We'll figure it out. Mm. And, oh, no, they were fretting. And, and they got there. And, and, well, the first thing you do when you meet a Tahitian person is you kiss the cheeks with air kisses, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's the beast. You know, yeah. that's, yeah. And, and you speak this or you speak that, and you find out this and you find out that, and a word here and a word there. And, and then one of the boys opened up and could actually speak English <laughs> reasonably yeah. competently. Yeah. Not great, but, yeah. but it was understandable. And they wanted to learn some Korean words. Yes. You know, how do you say I love you in Korean? And I said, oh, I get this. Okay, mm. I got it. I know what's going on back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Teenagers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was it was kind of a magical time for my folks. My, I go to a Korean church, so they're mm. all Koreans. Mm. Um, it was magical for them because they felt like they got to know all of these people even though they weren't carrying on lengthy conversations. Mm. We took them to Gyeongbokgung. We took them to Namdaemun, Sijang for some shopping. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, these these boys are just, they, Tahiti's not a big place. Right. Some of the boys had traveled to Paris with their parents as younger kids. They'd never been in a city this big, mm. ever. Mm-hmm. Now, Paris is big, but if you're a little kid traveling with your parents, you don't see it quite the same way. Paris is a little bit different. And they're, yeah. they're just... They're just, they're looking up, their necks are back, and they're looking up, and it's like, oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. The tallest building in Tahiti is like four stories or mm. five stories. You know, there's no need. To <laughs> there's no latte tower there. No, there's no latte tower there. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I'm not being negative about Tahiti either. It's a different place. Yeah. And these boys at 14 have not had lots of worldwide experiences. And but they were not at least not the least bit hesitant about going to this jamboree and meeting people from all over the world, mm. none of them speaking each other's languages, and uh, despite all that happened, mm. they came back uh, so charged up about all these friends they'd met and they traded their scarves, you know, with you know this one nice. or that one or whatever, and and 
there was there was a lot of worry here in Korea about the negative impressions that might be made because of what happened at the jamboree and the the facilities and the heat and all of that. These boys, you know, it's like, oh, it was great fun. We had mm. a great time. Mm. Well, yeah, the food wasn't great, but you know, we didn't die. You know, we, you know, yeah, this was that, this was that, but it was okay. Yeah. We met all these friends. Yeah. And and uh, they went away wanting to come back and visit sometime when it wasn't so hot so they could really enjoy some sightseeing. Nice. That's good. You know, so yeah. I don't think the worries that many had are going to be fulfilled. It's, you know, I mean, there was a worry about the Busan Expo. All oh, this is going to ruin our chances for that. I, I think Saudi Arabia was always going to win that, wasn't it? it? I think so, yeah. I, sorry, Busan. I, I don't think... Uh, uh, now, some of the, I'm sure of the 45,000 people were here, there's going to be some negative yeah. feelings, but there would have been anyway, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. You have a percentage of people. Uh, but, but the language and being able to share in that sort of a venue mm. for kids from a very small place, meeting kids from Japan and Korea and mm. the United States and European countries and, uh, you know, what, I forget how many whatever countries were all represented – hundred and some countries, you know, it, they were just charged up. Yeah, they had a ball. Many of them uh, seeking asylum. I've seen here now. Well, the, now I've seen in that the paper this week. The, they they this don't week, want to go home. I saw some of that. Yeah. I think there was a lot of sensationalist news about that. Obviously, there were there was a lot of yeah. difficult stuff going on. Yeah. And as always, you expect government corruption and people going off on jollies around the world. When well, yeah, you know, what and, was most interesting to me, Stephen? So, I just yeah, make this point: yeah, is yeah, that yeah. I would be watching the television news with korean people and and they would they would be like i feel so ashamed i feel uh -huh. such a deep sense of shame and i was like it obviously has nothing to do with them right. they they didn't arrange it their problem yeah koreans were still going up to these people in the street and apologizing, apologizing. Yep. yeah it's yep. it's a little bit different isn't well that korean society is still a group society yeah despite all the westernization that's and the globalization that's happened uh, we don't see it so much in a village level anymore, but no. there's still this sense of commonality. I dare you to say the word Uri or Jong that <laughs> the people don't like us uh, using, but they do but, use but, that. But it is there, and and Uri you know there. I, I mean, uh, not in the same way, but uh, when a certain uh, person was president of the United States that I didn't think was doing the kind of job that ought to be done, mm. people would say, "Are you American?" I say, "No, I'm German." <laughs> <laughs> of all the countries that <laughs> yeah well I don't, Tahitian I, I don't Tahitian? look Tahitian yeah. no, Tahitian sorry I don't look Tahitian I look like I'm German Tahitian and Squozen we're one all at the moment well in, in French it's spelled that way yeah okay Tahitian T-I-E-N. Yeah. Of course, it's pronounced Tahitian. Uh, I worked um, in the 2018 Winter Olympics here on the, like, you were doing the copy editing. Uh -huh, yeah. So I was doing that in the official okay. translation office. And all the Olympics, the, the official language is French. That's right. So yeah. I had to sit next to the French team. Okay. All, all winter. And I speak a little bit of French, but I learned during that the French word for chopsticks. Uh -huh. Baguette. Really? Yeah, yeah. The French word for chopstick is baguette. A baguette, baguette is a, a, a long It's a thing. long, narrow thing. It's a long, narrow Interesting. thing. So there, there you go. Oh, There's another idea. little word you can put oh. down on your on your 10-word business card. Well, no, I'm not learning French. <laughs> <laughs> We've done so much of Korea. One of the things 
where I got to know you through, Steve, was the uh, Royal Asiatic Society. Yeah. Can we speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And perhaps yeah, yeah. what I would love to speak to you about, about the Royal Asiatic Society career branch is perhaps some of the figures mm. that have been influential in this. We've just had yeah. Hun doing his presentation on the Underwoods, right. yep. Peter Bartholomew. Yep. There, are, there are these these names that echo down across mm. the years mm -hmm. right? yeah. and, and and you have incredible first-hand experience with, with some yeah. with some yeah. would, would yeah. you care to talk about perhaps some of these people yeah. or memories well, that go with these well you know just for some background the our royal asiatic society of in korea was founded in 1900 yeah. so 123 years ago since this is 2023 when we're making this recording it's incredible um the uh the motivation in the uh, 1900, there weren't a lot of expats here. <laughs> there was a, a, a few hundred uh, missionaries, Western missionaries, yeah, yeah. and uh, about half that many diplomatic corps, mm -hmm. probably. Um, and uh, amongst some of those people were, were scholarly-oriented people who, who were really interested in learning. Uh, some of the first uh, linguists of Korean language mm. were part of that founding group. Mm. Uh, Horace G. Underwood the first, mm. who came in 1884, wrote the put together the first Korean English dictionary. Um, and James Scarth Gale, who came a few years later, he and Underwood worked together on a new edition of the dictionary, and then Gale made several editions. They were founding brothers of mm. the Royal Asiatic Society. There were only about 13 people at that first meeting. Yeah. Uh, a few diplomats, mostly missionaries. Are there, any, are there any copies of that first dictionary, those early uh, you dictionaries? Can, you can find them online in an electronic Digitized, form. okay. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they've been digitized. Right. Hard copies will be... Right. They're in libraries somewhere, but they're quite rare mm. and would be quite fragile at this point because of the technology that was made in those days of putting them printing and mm -hmm. binding um, but you can actually still see Gale's dictionary in anything that's published by Min Jung Sodim his dictionary was the foundation for all of their modern Korean English English Korean dictionaries oh wow uh, uh, he came up with the alphabetization system that's used mm-hmm uh, when they first the first dictionary, they alphabetized it by vowels rather than consonants. Mm. So the first uh, first words in that dictionary are ah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of, but yeah, well, that 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 works. <coughs> um, anyway, I saw um, some. Let me just tell uh, you the story before you go. Yeah. And I saw some early dictionaries. These were from sailors. I don't think it was Gale or Underwoods, but when they were the. They had transliterated the Korean and then the English, and um, uh, water was written as B-O-O-L, bull, bull. And I was D-O-O-N, dun. Yep. And so you could see that they were trying to, these early steps of trying, because we would say mul and nun, trying to get this Korean into English, those early steps. I thought that was fascinating. Well, and, here, it's close. But, and there wasn't, because Hangul had not been used... Mm. As a, as a official language, it, it had begun in the in the 1700s. Shijo, uh, uh, the Korean poetry mm. form, and novels began to be written in Hangul. Mm. 
there was no there were no spelling conventions, and so you get all kinds of spelling in these books. Mm. When the first dictionary uh, was done by Underwood, uh, the spelling of Chosan was diet mm. yo jo mm. jo mm. shun it uh, and then ya nian. Sounds a bit Chinese, doesn't it? Well, there, there's, no. you know, I mean, when you hear people speaking, mm. until you know the alphabet, you can't quite visualize the way to write it. Right. So that's why you get doon. Mm. Kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Because the other thing that we need to remember with Hangul is they're not direct equivalents for English sounds of letters. Mm. So meum is not really a full-blown M no. sound. No. It's a lot softer. So it could sound a little different. Mm. Mm. It's not mul, it's mul. Chosan. How do you spell chosan? Cho. Cho. Is it di did and yo mm. jo jo that's jo yeah that could be it took a while to get spelling convention done mm. um, and and we still see some innovation going on and some change going on as language transforms and and evolves that's common with anything so these um, early figures Horace Underwood so the first Horace Underwood James the first Gale. James Garth Gale Homer Hulbert mm. uh, of, of the missionary educator group uh, were preeminent families. Uh, the Underwoods were here long-term generationally. Mm. Uh, Gale uh, had uh, no children of his own. He had two adopted daughters mm. from his first wife, uh, who her husband was one of the first medical doctors in Korea, and he died. And Gale later married the widow lady and, mm. and took in her two daughters and raised them, never had any children of their own together. Um, so when he retired, his first wife had died. The girls had gone on to school in, in the U.S. Uh, his second wife was a Brit. Mm -hmm. Her father had been a businessman in Yokohama. And when they retired, he went. they retired in Bath, England. Mm. Uh, because even though Gail was born and raised in Canada, it wasn't a totally separate entity yet. I mean, there were some things, but you know, the Confederation had taken place. But he was basically still a British subject of the king. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to just move back to her hometown and retire there. There was no immigration document or any of that stuff that went on. He died in 18 or 1937. So he didn't live to see the end of the Japanese era. Uh, Horace Underwood I died in 1916, got ill, mm -hmm. went to the States to recover and died there. Uh, but the Underwood family still is in Korea today. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fourth generation, the great-grandson of Horace Underwood I, Peter, is still here. He's a me life member of RAS. Uh, he and his older brother, who's retired to the U.S., are probably the only heritage members of RAS mm. Korea. Uh, well there, deserved. There are no Gales. There are no Holberts. Is that Fred Underwood in uh, the U.S.? Fred, Fred is a cousin of yeah. Peter's. Yeah, okay. Fred's, Fred's uh, uncle was Horace un G. Underwood II, mm -hmm. Peter's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Peter's father was born, grandfather was still alive. Mm. 
Father's name was Horace H. Underwood. Mm. Horace G. the second was born, and so he was named Horace Grant Underwood the mm. second. And then when, uh, well, the other brother had been born, Horace Underwood, he was named after uh, his fa- uh, grandfather, Horace H. Underwood. So he was Horace H. the second. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but because their first names are all Horace, it gets really confusing. Really confusing. You know, so I, I call them Horace one, Horace two, Horace three, Horace four. Yeah. Just to shorten it all, uh, Horace four, Horace H. Underwood, who used to be the second when his father was still alive, is in in uh, the U.S. retired. Your your uh, biography so. I just read was Horace three. Is that correct? And the book you just read is Horace yeah. three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the autobiography oh. of uh, Horace G. Underwood. Fascinating book. Uh, he he was a well the whole family are quite a remarkable family, uh, but but you know we educator, missionary scholars you know all of them. Uh, Horace G. Underwood the first Horace number one was a founding member mm-hmm. of Royal Asiatic Society of Korea, but never did much publishing in the journal because he was busy working on the Bible translation and uh, uh, dictionary work, lexicography, and grammar work. He did a grammar textbook uh, to, for others to learn Korean. Uh, so he kept really busy. Uh, Horace I, Horace, was the founder of the Semunan Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. which is, I think, probably the, f- I think it's the oldest Presbyterian church in Seoul. Um, and... Uh, and the family still continued to have uh, connections with that church. Uh, uh, Horace number three was an elder there. His wife was an elder there. Mm. Uh, uh, Horace number four was an elder. Th- I think he was an elder there. He and his wife attended there. So it was really kind of the family church. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's, in fact, in, in the new building they built uh, 10 years ago, the, the, there's a whole level of the building that's the uh, Underwood Memorial Hall in that church. So, I mean... I need to go and see that, I think. Uh, Underwoods yeah. are, uh, you know, and, and of course, the Underwood family have been the primary uh, guts behind Yonsei University. Uh, well, they didn't do it alone, of course, mm. but uh, uh, a lot of Underwood family money from the States went into building the school. Uh, one thing that many people aren't aware of, because we don't use typewriters anymore, is that the the, the best-selling worldwide best-selling typewriter was the Underwood typewriter mm-hmm. back in the 1920s. Mm. It's the same family as the Underwoods of Korea. It was Horace Number One's older brother and father who had that typewriter company. And uh, in Horace Number One's autobiography, there's several times where he mentions writing a letter to his brother John. Mm. I just need $35 to build a new house in Seoul. <laughs> or, you know, some, some phenomenally almost nothing money yeah. that could build a house. And, and I might be wrong on the 30 It might have been $350, but mm. it was just, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that Underwood family money went into, and Horace, number one, was the baby. Mm. And he was the child given to God's work, mm. which was not uncommon amongst Calvinists from Scotland yeah. and England in those days. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, they did that often. Uh, when when Horace, number one, headed out on missionary work, he was headed to China, he thought. Ends up here. And uh, 
Peter Underwood is still on the board of Yonsei University, mm-hmm. fourth generation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Horace's children and Peter's kids don't live in Korea. So when Peter finally leaves the country, which is not anytime soon, he and his wife are planning to be, uh, what would we call it, bicontinental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like uh, it. She's from Australia, and so they'll spend some time in Australia. They'll spend some time here and mm. go back and forth a bit while their health holds. Uh, so Peter has, you know, Peter's on the board of Seoul Foreign School, which his great-grandmother started or something like that. And So, you know, there's a huge family connection. And RAS, you know, all of those Underwood family members have been members of RAS mm. through the generations. Uh, Horace number two. And Horace number three have both been presidents multiple terms mm. uh, over the decades. Um, we did a list of past presidents, and uh, in one instance I listed Horace number three just as Horace G. Underwood, and in a later instance I listed him as Dr. Horace G. Underwood, and the editor said, well, don't we need to put doctor on the... No, he didn't have his doctor's degree then. <laughs> he didn't get it until later, yeah. so... But all it's of really them, gonna confuse uh, people with you know, the Horaces. And all the of them are scholars. Yes, uh, you know they they've been uh, educators. Even even Horace one, although an ordained missionary, but you know he was a teacher. He taught chemistry mm. and biology, and was instrumental in in the whole first Western hospital story that happened. You know in those early years, he was teaching in the medical school, teaching mm. those young students chemistry and biology and and was a missionary and a pastor on the other side of things. Was he connected so, to the royal family? Was he connected to uh, Gojo? Well, well uh, all of them were. Yeah. All of those the, those first group of missionaries, their wives especially, mm. were chummy with Queen Min, mm. uh, the empress who was killed in uh, 1894 mm. or 5. Uh, there. The Japanese attack uh, on the... Bel- so Gabo was 1894. 84, yeah, yeah, it was the next year. Min, it was 80, think, would have been 85. I think, yeah. But, but for several years before that, those missionaries' wives were making all the food for the royal family because King Kojong didn't trust anybody. Mm. But he, could, he did feel he could trust the missionary wives. Yeah. In fact, when, when James Gale married um, the widow of the doctor yeah. and John, why can't I ever remember that man's name? Oh, dear. Queen Min gave them a wedding gift of 500 silver dollars, Mexican silver dollars, which which were very commonly circulated in Asia. The Mexican government was pressing their vast supplies of silver into these coins. Okay. And they were used for international trade for decades. She gave them $500 and several bolts of silk, and Mrs. Underwood was fit to be tied. I'm a better friend of the queen than she is. <laughs> well, you didn't just get married. You've been married for a few years now. Yeah. I mean, it was just uh, this, these two women just, you know, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, do you have any of those Mexican dollars in your collection? I do not. Okay. Gail's annual salary yeah. when he got married was $500. So that gift from the queen was yeah. a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, we... We look at dollar amounts and don't really think about, you know, what is one dollar worth yeah. in this era? We, we forget How many Big Macs can you buy? about inflation. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Well, and then there's the modern economies of scale, too, that make a difference. 
But we look at those old numbers. Oh, my gosh, he could build a house for $300? Wow, that's cheap. Well, when it was almost an annual salary, it that wasn't, wasn't cheap. cheap. Yeah. Um, of course, now housing is so strange, you'd have to be making a lot more money than you do to even build a cheap house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, in those days, it was different. Um, and, you know, there, there was a... There were probably twice as many women missionaries as there were men, but we never hear the stories of the women. That's right. Uh, and there were no women involved in founding RAS, probably Mary because. Mary Scranton? Well, it's one that comes to yeah, mind. Yeah, but because of Ewha University and all <laughs> yes, that. Yes, yes. I but, got one. <laughs> but you got one of them. But you don't hear yeah. all the work these You're other right. women were doing. Gail's right. wife was, Gail did lots of translation work Yeah. from Korean into English and English into Korean. and so His wife was one of his key muses mm. on that, and she was as skillful at the language as he was. Mm. But we never hear about all her work on his translations because it only has his name on it. Right. I believe one of the reasons there were no women founding members... You'd make a great feminist, Steve. Well, I'm not. I, I, there are some people in, in this city who <laughs> I've recently had to do with who would say I'm a misogynist. But... Uh, uh, they founded the RAS, the meetings were held at the Seoul Union Club, mm. which was a building located at the tip of the road where the U.S. ambassador's residence sits. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Y junction there, and across the street is the Jungdong Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And right at where that Y junction is on that plot of ground, which I think is now the U.S. ambassador's tennis courts, <laughs> Uh, was the Seoul Union Club. Mm. It was the gentleman's club mm. for the, the expat men. They could go get a glass of brandy and a cigar. Nice. Women didn't go into those places. Mm-hmm. Women weren't allowed into those places. Mm. RAS Korea was founded in the reading room of that club. Okay. Well, there were no women there because they, couldn't, they weren't allowed in the building. Mm. That was just the way it was in 1900. Uh, and it, it was... I don't think a single one of those men, missionary men whose stories I know the best, uh, thought any less of their wives. In fact, probably their wives had more to do than many Korean women ever did in those days. Mm. Uh, But the club was a men's club. Out in Incheon, near Chinatown, is the old uh, clubhouse there. Mm -hmm. Have you been into that? It's just down the hill from the MacArthur statue was built in the same era for the expat gentlemen of Incheon. Mm-hmm. And they've got it restored to its original with the long bar and the heavy wood paneling. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful building, but women weren't allowed. It was the gentlemen's club. You know, yeah. Men needed a place to go. And uh, so that's I think that's why we don't see lots of women involved in RAS in those early years, because all the meetings were held in the union club. Have there been many women presidents? Over the years? There have been a few, oh. but not many. Oh. Uh, and most of those, uh, well, all of those women have been in the modern era right. since the 80s, 90s. Uh, there's, but there's only been a couple. But nevertheless, there but have nevertheless, been some. But nevertheless, at least yeah. there have been some. Yeah. I was and, and worried when I asked you there's, that there's, al- there's always <laughs> been a good representation on the council with, with yeah. women and men and Koreans and expats. There's, you know, tried to be a, a good, you know, representation of the community. Mm. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think uh, all of those who've been president have been sensitive to the need for having voices represented, um, and that's that's a value to the organization as well as to the community. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Underwood and Gale, uh, Gale is 
my hero uh, because he consciously decided to stay during the Japanese era and continue his education work despite all the hardships mm. that he was up against. Mm. Um, he what would those hardships be? Well, uh, he, he had organized, uh, uh, founded two, a girls' middle school and a, gr a boys' high school, mm. and he wrote all the curriculum for it. Mm. The Japanese government censored his textbooks and tore out chapters, and he got very upset with Ito Hirobumi mm. for doing that censorship. And, and uh, Gail was a linguist's linguist. He knew Korean better than most Koreans. Mm. He knew the Korean history and culture and stories, and so he had used a lot of Korean folk tales mm -hmm. in the educational stuff. You know, like when you do math story, math problems, or yeah. uh, morals or ethics, you know, these kinds of you know social studies stuff. Japanese were having none of it, and those pages and pages were ripped out of the textbooks. And you know, Gail and some of the other missionaries said, "What do we do? This is wrong." Mm. And uh, some of them said, well, we could just quit and leave. But then none of us would be here to teach, to help, mm. to do what we could do, what mm. we can do. Mm. Uh, I don't think any of them were uh, collaborators with the Japanese. I think they suffered silently mm. and just went along with what the rules were to try to promote Christian values, education, literacy, uh, it was tough. I think they had a harder time than people like Homer Holbert, for example, who got kicked out of Korea in 1907. And from the comfort of his armchair back in Connecticut or Massachusetts, wherever he lived, he could write all kinds of anti-Japanese yeah. uh, tirades, which he did and was well known. He, he did the Chautauqua. Chautauqua? Is that the right? The educational organizations. Chautauqua? I think that's what it was called, mm. Circuit. Got paid very well for all of his anti-Japanese lectures. He's still heralded today, Homer Holbert, is that? He's we the only one as, heralded today. We don't hear as much about Gale. No, because suggest. Gale and all the other guys died before liberation. Mm. Holbert succeed, uh, still was alive after mm. liberation, and his former middle school student became the first president. Mm. That's why Holbert is hailed by mm. the Korean government. Because Lee Sung Man was one of his one of Holbert's middle school students mm. at the old Methodist school where Holbert taught back in the Korean Empire years. There's a good reason to keep the Holbert name going when the, well, the nation starts. Well, uh, you know, uh, he uh, he was posthumously awarded a rank of you know uh, independence fighter, something yeah. that the government had come up with. And there's a group of people today that really worship at his feet more yeah. than anything else. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with honoring somebody who did some good things. Yes. But he wasn't the only one. And, and all of the translation work that was done here, all of the linguistic work that was done here, it was all team efforts. Mm. You know, they were all helping each other, working with each other. The Bible Translation Committee, mm. you do this book, you do that book, you do that book, and then they'd do it, and then they'd get together and read the translations, and they would edit each other. You know, and it was a group effort. And... Uh, uh, you know, Holbert's uh, History of Korea, the two-volume History of Korea that he wrote, and the time was a really good scholarly history, mm. as good as could be done. Mm. Uh, not a popular history. Gale later wrote a popular history for ordinary folk like me mm. that uh, still in print today and available digitally online and stuff like that where, uh, you know, it's it's you can read it and understand it. Holbert's, you have to 
think a little harder because it's a little higher level scholar. That's okay. Mm. Um, but Gale died in 37, so he didn't live to see the, the liberation of Korea. Uh, Underwood died in 1916, early in the years, mm. bef- before it really got bad. You mm. know, I mean, bad enough in 1916, but it got worse in the 30s. Yeah. Um, uh, Gale left Korea simply because he was finished, he retired, and the society that had funded him said he had to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Underwoods, on the other hand, Horace Underwood number two, was an education missionary paid by the university, mm-hmm. what became Yonsei University. So his retirement, he could stay here. Right. <laughs> and the family all then worked for the university and could stay here. But the other missionaries were funded by a mission society who mm-hmm. insisted they return to their homelands. Uh, had Horace Underwood the first lived to retirement age, that may have happened to him too. Mm. But he, since he died, in uh, early, he was only 50-something when he died. Uh, tuberculosis and cholera and all, I forget what it was that he, I think it might have been tuberculosis. Mm. Too, all too common in those days in, in the underdeveloped world. Even in America we had it yeah. in those years. So. Um, While we're on this time period, Steve, can I ask you about the influence of uh, Christianity on, on, on Korea? Because you, you're mentioning these missionaries, uh, they're doing their, uh, their work, and that, that's what also brought you over here. Now, to give one perspective to try and frame this question, the early missionaries, perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were building schools for people that previously weren't educated under the Joseon dynasty. They were building schools for women. They were building schools for poor people. They were building schools for the blind. Uh, On top of the schools, they were also building uh, or establishing newspapers uh, to get information out, and they were also building hospitals. And they were putting down the foundations for civil society or democracy and sowing the seeds, even if not directly, but putting down the foundations, we might say, and this was something that, despite whatever else might have happened during the 500-odd years of the of the jo- Joshon <laughs> or the E dynasty yeah. uh, uh, of that, hadn't really happened before. So what's your take on the influence of, of Christianity on the, the Korean story in the last 100-odd years? Uh, there, there's no question the influence has been powerful. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to compare China and Japan, mm. who actually, both of those countries had a lot more missionary work being done than Korea ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, missionaries in China, I mean, there were, you know, Christians all over the place and Catholics all over the place. Korea had been closed off until we got the the treaties with the United States and Japan and Britain in the 1880s. Mm. And uh, missionaries weren't directly allowed in, but uh, it turns out that some of the first diplomats were actually missionaries. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, Underwood came as a teacher, even though he was an ordained minister, but he didn't come on a missionary visa. They were coming in the the cloak of... Well, it was coming under the guise of of education and whatever, and and times had been such that Kim Ko-jong was was willing to deal with that. There had been such a backlash against his father's closed society. Mm. Uh, I think Quinn Min probably had a lot of, of that progressive influence on the king. Um, but uh, when you know the missionaries had barely got here, 
uh, and were barely getting set up when you had the uh, the uh, Kapsinku. Mm. And Quinn Mean's cousin was severely injured in the fight. And there was nothing that could be done by Korean medicine for that. So he was he was wounded severely. Mm. Uh, and uh, in desperation, they called in the doctor from the U.S. legation. And uh, he was able to save the prince's life with Western medicine. Mm-hmm. It didn't take too long for the king to kick out all the Korean doctors from the palace, and he adopted and, and designated this man as the royal physician. Well, not a lot of Koreans like that, mm-hmm. but when you have the king beside you, there's a lot of work you can get done mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in, in that kind of a, of a system. But those early missionaries valued, you know, the, the only way to teach people Christianity was to educate people to be literate. And um, because women were the least educated, they started developing a system of Bible women. Mm-hmm. They couldn't call them preachers because they were women. Yeah. And they couldn't call them deaconesses because in those days they weren't letting women do any of that stuff in the Presbyterian or Methodist churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had these probably hundreds of women who had been taught to read and write Hangul. Parts of the Bible were being published in Hangul mm. so that they could be read. And they were being taught by the missionaries and the missionaries' wives what these Bible stories mean and et cetera, et cetera. And then their job was to go teach other women to read. And, and the Bible was their only textbook they had in Hangul at the time. Mm. Uh, there were some racy novels available on the market, but, but that was not, uh, you know, polite people didn't look at those. No. Um, and, and so they built this foundation of education. Even the, the Western medicine stuff was an educational thing. It wasn't our medicine's better than your medicine. Here's a different approach that we have. And the king said, well, it worked for my, mm. my wife's cousin. Let's try it. Mm. I mean, it was really not a big operation at first. It was a tiny place. And that, that first medical stuff eventually became what we know as Severance Hospital now. Right. Uh, which is so big it's scary to even go in the building. But <laughs> I get what you're saying now, why uh, it was so influential in so, Korea. It took me a while. It's yeah. because it was proximity to the royal family, well, to Gojong. I think that was the key. Yeah. Had that incident with Prince Min not happened, yeah. it would may have been a slower slog, a harder slog down the road. But they didn't set up congregations of churches for Koreans until later. Mm. The foreign missionaries had their own congregation that they were attending in one of their homes in Chengdong, where they all lived, mm. and they didn't invite Koreans to come to church. Um, they tried to develop a church in Korea which had not been tried in China or Japan. Mm. The one missionary in China had proposed the idea and tried it in a limited way. Uh, we call it the Nevius method. Mm. John Nevius was a, a Presbyterian missionary in uh, China, in Shandong province. And after 150 years of Chinese missionaries, there still weren't any Chinese pastors, or of missionaries in China, there still weren't Chinese pastors. Nevius said that something's wrong with this. Mm. And as he analyzed the situation, he said there's, there's three things that needed to happen, but it hasn't happened. Mm. 
the church needs to be self-governed by its own people, not by the outside missionaries. Mm-hmm. It needs to be self-funded by, by tithes and offerings, not by outside money being sent in from rich Western countries. Yeah. And it needs to be uh, self-evangelized. The local people need to be evangelizing, not, not us foreigners. Mm. And uh, Nevius tried that for a limited time before it was finally canceled by the Mission Society. But the, the uh, Underwood and the other folks here in Korea thought, you know, that might work here. Mm. So they adopted that method in the late 1800s. It had been so far, you know, village somewhere said, oh, we need to build a church. Please send us money. And they used to send the money. Well, but we need a pastor, so send a missionary to come and preach to us. And well, we only have so many of us, you know. Yeah. And uh, so once the, they had a big meeting, and they, they brought Nevius over from China to talk with them for several weeks. And they voted, and the Presbyterian missions here in Korea decided they would adopt that method. And so when a village said, hey, we need to, we need to build a church, send us money, the the missionaries here would say, uh, well, I say here, the foreign missionaries in Korea, because they weren't all in Seoul. Mm. Uh, actually, Pyongyang was a bigger operation than Seoul was at the Jerusalem time. of the East. The Jerusalem of the East was a nickname, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we don't have any money to send, but but if you'll get all the, the lumber together and all the plaster and stuff ready, five of us will come up and help you build it. Mm. And lo and behold, the villagers could pull together all the stuff they needed. Mm. The missionaries would go up, and they'd spend a week, and they'd erect a humble, you know, thatched roof building at first, maybe, in some cases. Uh, the first uh, Korean uh, ministers weren't ordained until the missionaries had been here for about 25 years. It took a long time. Uh, and uh, But they finally started doing that. And then, uh, I forget just exactly the timeline, but... Up until 1900, there were only 40 church buildings in Korea. <laughs> Between 1900 and 1925, there were 800 more mm. that had all been built with local stuff. The first 40 had been built with overseas money. So they're using this new method. So they're using this new method. method. And, and somebody would say, oh, I feel I'm called to be a pastor. Well, okay, you keep, keep your job, keep working. You know, when you get 25, 30 people together, then we'll consider your mm. application. If you want to be a pastor bad enough, you really feel a call, you'll do it. Yeah. And people started doing it. And they started investing in the training. And so the education went from secular, ordinary education to get people literate and up to speed with science and all of that stuff. Then you start the theological education. And, and they set up seminaries early on. And most of the guys that were here in Seoul were sub- professors at the Pyongyang Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Horace Underwood I was the president of the Pyongyang Theological Seminary, as well as one in Taejeon. Now, how they did that work, I don't know, because you didn't have telephones, you right. didn't have cars, they were riding horses back and forth or whatever. But somehow or another, they, they got this system going, and uh, they began to build some of these educational institutions. The YMCA mm. uh, was founded by Underwood and Gale and some other Korean Presbyterians and Methodists of the time. Uh, Lee Sung Man, the first president, went to school in the Methodist school. Uh, when he uh, wanted to be baptized, he went to Gail and said, uh, Brother, can you baptize me? And Gail said, and, and Gail's church still exists. The congregation still exists on Taeyongno, the Yandong 
Presbyterian Church. Gail was the first pastor there. Uh, Eastern Mon comes to him. He's a teenager, mm. and uh, an older teenager. And Gail says, well, I'll baptize you, but, you know, you went to the Methodist school, so you have to be a Methodist. Mm. Gail was Presbyterian. Mm. But the baptisms were equally recognized. Gail also helped Eastern Mon get to the U.S., and, and made a lot of the first connections with uh, the government officials in the U.S. because of his first wife's family connections. Mm. So, you know, it, 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 they're, they're all together. Yeah. Uh, when, when Horace Underwood, the first uh, grandson, was born, Horace number three, Gail baptized Horace number three at the Yandong Church. <laughs> and, and that church is still there? The, well, saying. it's not the original building. The congregation's yeah. still there. The new building was built in the 70s or 80s, and they've added on, but, but it's in the same spot. And Gail lived on that property for almost 30 years, 30, 35, 36 years. It's amazing mm. how quickly and how deeply it's penetrated the mm. Korean yeah, yeah. psyche, yeah. culture, yeah. politics, yeah. It, economy. It's, it's pervasive. And, and it, it, you know, I think, it, I think Koreans recognize that the missionaries were always on their side, mm. even during the Japanese time, because church services were still done in Korean despite the fact that the Japanese insisted that they couldn't use Korean at school at, mm. a, at a certain point in that yeah, time. Yeah. And, and uh, the foreign teachers who were still here in the 40s, Horace Underwood two and three both were put in prison by the Japanese before they were finally kicked out of the country. Yeah. Um, and the prison they used was the former Methodist seminary that's up the hill from, from the Sodemun prison. You know, I mean, what a horrible place to be a prisoner in your own, you know, in a religious school. But anyway, it was horrible times. And, uh, but, but these folks, you know, stuck it out as long as they were allowed to. And uh, I think people recognize that. Uh, you look at Japan, where there's maybe less than 1% of the population are Christians. I mm. mean, it's just, there's nothing mm. to speak of when you compare it with Korea, which, uh, the numbers have been overblown over the years by zealous people, but it's about 25 to 30 percent of the population in the latest uh, mm. um, census identify as Christian. And I would imagine of those 25, 30 percent, a large proportion occupy influential positions. Any level of government, yeah. any level of education in this country, you've got Christians everywhere. Uh, Christians generally are known for their high levels of education. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean Buddhists aren't either, but right, right. but you know it's there's such a large population. I think there's probably an overrepresentation of Christians compared with the people who don't identify as religious and the Buddhists. Mm. I think there's more Christians involved. Christians tend to be a little more zealous about things, perhaps a bit more uh, visible, especially they're quite across visible, the cityscape as visible. well. Uh. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you stretch Christianity a little further, uh, most Christians in Korea and, and in America would not recognize Jehovah's Witnesses as Christians. But as we walked from where we parked the car to the studio, we passed a Jehovah's Witness yeah. out there on the street. Yeah. Um, Koreans you know. will sometimes do this. They'll say, are you Christian? No, I'm Catholic. <laughs> well, in, <laughs> that's, no, in Korea, the, the word that was co-opted yeah. is kidokyo. Yeah, kidokyo. Well, that 
doesn't mean Christian. It means um, uh, basically uh, the 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 sacrificed Jesus church. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Key referring to Christ and yeah. tok, to Toksang, mm. Toksangja, mm. a, a martyr. Yeah. Um, the Catholics chose the word uh, to describe their church as Lord of Heaven, Chenju Kyo. Well, I would translate both of those words into the word Christian. Mm. Christian Catholics, Christian Protestants, whatever. But here in Korea, the Protestants say that Catholics are not Christians. Yeah. And not that they use a different name, but they're not Christian. I mean, really, vociferously, not Christian. They, they like know, separate They love the separation. <laughs> and they don't quite know what to do with the Anglicans, <laughs> who are both Catholic and Protestant, sort of, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And they use a, a word of the, the holy gathering, yeah. the public, holy public gathering, uh, which I think is a beautiful name for what Jesus was all about. Because mm-hmm. Jesus didn't put a name on, on the church. It, in fact, there wasn't a church when Jesus was alive. It happened later. When three people uh, come together in my name, yeah, it's a church yeah, or something. I'm, yeah, yeah, the spirit's there. Can I ask and, you one? I, I, yeah. it's, it's been in my mind for yeah. a bit. Yeah. It's, it's a weird question. Remember when we were speaking about propaganda between yeah. like uh, the what you see in North Korea yeah. and what you saw here with Myo Gyeong Tong Il. We hear a lot about uh, missionaries such as Underwood and Gail yeah. and Appenzeller and these figures. Mm. Appenzeller. Appenzeller, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Two one to you. Were there Russian missionaries? Because obviously no. the Russian can no no because it's a, it's a very sort of religious country, isn't it's it? It's a very religious. Oh, it country. was at the time before nineteen seventeen. Yeah, it was before the revolution. Yeah, um, I was just we, wondering if they'd been whitewashed or they weren't. There really wasn't much going on here. Uh, the, we were not Korean Peninsula was not much in the influence of Russia. Mm. Uh, the, but there were Russians here. There were there? some. Yeah. We had the legation. You right. know, there was a legation, and there were. Uh, most of the the Russians that were around were uh, seafarers, mm-hmm. uh, and we have for a long time had an Orthodox church in Seoul mm. uh, to cater to what used to be a very small Russian community. It's gotten bigger in more recent times, but uh, the Orthodox Church was not so much a missionary church as much as the Catholics and Protestants were, mm. okay. and uh, Korea was mostly in the realm of Western powers, France, Germany, Britain, the U.S. Mm. Um, you know, Russia was not a big player in the Far East. Uh, and, and, you know, in the war between Russia and Japan, the Japanese sunk the entire Imperial Russian fleet in a few days. Yeah. So, you know, Vladivostok was the furthest outpost from the empire that there could be. There was a Pacific fleet, of course. The mm. Russians had a Pacific fleet. And it was a massive fleet. I mean, they, they were a powerful nation. Uh, but but they, you don't see uh, Orthodox missionaries in the same sense that we saw the Protestants and mm. Catholics. The Catholics were also big on education, uh, and especially the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. You know, the Society of Jesus is the biggest educational society in the entire Catholic Church. And Sogang University here in Seoul was their one of their institutions, modern institutions. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, Pakune went there, by the way. She went. She graduated from Sogon years ago. I didn't know that. Uh, You've got a smile on your face when you say I, that. It's, well, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, the family was not Catholic. Yeah. You know, Pak Chung, he identified as Buddhist. That's what I have thought, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like, but, hey. There's all the talk of shamans. One of the best schools in the city, you're going to want your daughter to go yes. there, especially when you're president. Yeah. You don't have to worry about getting your daughter into any school. And she went off to France as well, she didn't she? To the she Sorbonne. was very Catholic. She yeah. went to the Sorbonne. You well, know, there so, is, is uh, and she had to cut short her education, though, when her mother was killed. So. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the, the Orthodox Church, you find the one congregation over in Mapo, uh, near Kongduk uh, Sagori, Kongduk mm. Junction, mm. Uh, beautiful but small, uh, but very Eastern, you know, Russian-looking church building. It's very lovely. Mm. And the liturgy of the Orthodox Church is, is just beautiful, I think. You know, it's just the, the singing of the mm. what we call Mass in the in, uh, Western world. They call it the Divine Liturgy in English in their tradition. Uh, it, it can be very beautiful, you know. So uh, the Protestants were pretty plain yep. you know the churches are little decorated mostly yeah. uh and that's okay too uh the catholics never had quite the handhold here that the protestants got but they're still a sizable community mm-hmm. um and they do have money mm. uh you know the the cathedral in myeongdong even though it's now over 100 years old it's a you know i mean it was a massive undertaking mm-hmm. Uh, and the newer buildings that they're building, the, the Anglicans are the same way. Mm. They have some phenomenally beautiful buildings that they've been able to build, but, but not the societal power that... Yeah. The, the Anglicans have less than 100,000 people in Korea, and yet their buildings are magnificent. <laughs> Even the small parish churches mm. out in the countryside are mm. beautiful buildings. Uh, so... Uh, you know, there's 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 a focus around the spiritual things here that that runs deep, uh, and the 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 churches. I think the churches that have been most successful have been syncretistic, a little bit to allow for a little bit of flexibility and Korean cultural stuff, mm-hmm. and not just completely shutting the door to anything culturally that was Korean. Uh, the Catholics at first said, "You know, burn all your ancestor tablets and." Uh, mixed families today are common. Yes. Uh, mixed religious, mixed faith yeah. is common. Uh, and uh, I occasionally have church people ask me, "What, what do I do? My most of my brother's family are they're Confucian or they're you know they're not religious. They do the Chesaw mm. stuff." And I said, "Well, there's nothing wrong with you participating in honoring your deceased father." Mm-hmm. Oh, but we're Christians. We're not supposed to worship uh, worship our ancestors. Well. You're not worshiping your ancestor, I don't think. Having dinner and talking to them is you're a bit having different from dinner and worshiping cross idols. It's really different than worship, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so I, I, I'm probably on the more liberal side of that than most Protestants would be in, the, mm. in this country. But I um, engage in it all, and I but I've seen family members who <laughs> won't step foot into a temple or stay outside yeah. when people oh, are yeah. doing tessar and there are some, yeah. I'm just open-eyed. Let's go. I I, I yeah. want to see it all. Perhaps. There was a wonderful line that I read. Uh, I think it was from Tudor. I remember reading Daniel Tudor's book where it says that uh, Koreans are Confucian by day, they're Buddhist when they philosophize, and they're shamanists when they've got a problem. In that they'll, they'll, they'll go into And I read that, and I thought, yes. And, and he, you know, I think that's not too far off 
for many. Yeah. In that yeah. sense, could we perhaps uh, talk about Confucianism just just briefly because we had a little thing oh, online. Well, you know, I just while we're talking I, about worldviews, I, I, I was just saying you give them too much credit, but <laughs> but I, I would love to just learn I, because I, sometimes I, my students ask I, me. I think what's Confucianism? I think Professor? Confucianism, as it has been neo-Confucianism, oh. as it has been practiced in this country, has served mostly to put certain people down and elevate others. Mm. Uh, so I I think. The country might have developed very differently mm. without that overlay of that hierarchical structure. Mm. If it had been a bit more egalitarian from the get-go, mm. I mean, we we had a society where you had the Yangban, the nobility, who were empowered by Neo-Confucianism to be in charge of things, mm. and then you had everybody else. Yeah. And so we now have a modern society where we say, well, oh, we need to preserve the Hanoks, the traditional Korean house. Hanok is not a traditional Korean house because most people didn't have one. Yeah. So how can it be traditional if only 1% of the population had one? This is called Yangban-hua, the Yangbanization well, it, 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 of... It's the Yangbanization. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about gentrification. It's the, the traditional Korean house is a thatched roof mm. mud structure. House of the people. Because 99% of the people lived in nothing but that. Mm. So if you want to talk about what's traditional, and, and I think that whole Confucian overlay skews that sort of a thing because if you're in the lower levels, yeah. you're not important. Yeah. And, and that still plays out today in business, even at church. Mm. Uh, oh, he's an elder mm. of the church. He's, oh, yes, elder Nim, you know. I don't think Jesus meant for that to happen. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, I did something innovative in my church decades ago. I took the pulpit from which only the pastor can speak, mm. and I moved it down onto the floor of the church. Bravo. And invited everybody to come and take part in parts of the worship service. Mm. Many Presbyterian Methodist churches, they have two pulpits at front. This is where the pastor speaks. This is where everybody else talks. Mm. I'll have none of that. Um, and uh, it's made a huge difference because now women, children, young adults, all of them take part in the worship. They all speak from the same pulpit because I'm only going to have one. I'm not going to have a second smaller pulpit for the lower people. Right. Uh, I'm not technically the pastor anymore, but, I mean, that mindset is still there. And uh, when I first moved that pulpit down off the platform to the to the level of everybody, mm. I, oh, people were horrified because mm. I, I did it during a worship service. Oh, a, a <laughs> we, sense of the we, the drama. We started yeah, the service yeah. Yeah, and we nice. talked about the community mm. of disciples, mm. where and there was a story in the Bible where Jesus' disciples are arguing. Well, Jesus, when we go to heaven, am I going to be sitting on your right hand and you know, this and that and the other? And Jesus said, it didn't work that way, guys. Mm. And uh, so I said, now, I said, I've been trying to think of how we, can, how we can make our congregation more of a community instead of you're all down there and I'm way back up here with the one or two elders who are praying or whatever. I said, so I, I think what we'll do mm. is change our furniture arrangement here. <laughs> and uh, I, the pulpit was not too difficult to pick up by myself. So Had I'd you practiced? I'd practiced, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I picked it up and I walked down the three steps to the main floor and put it right in the middle of the room. Oh, no. 
Oh, well, there were, there were some gasps, yeah. audible gasps. It's to. like, oh, pastor, what are you doing? Yeah. One woman says, what are you doing? Mm. And I said, well, we're going to rearrange our community. Mm. And then I, later in the week, I rearranged all the chairs so that we weren't straight on facing the front, but we mm. angled them so we were facing each other. Ooh, and uh, I was trying to make a point of the egalitarian nature of Christian society mm-hmm. as opposed to Confucian society. Mm. Confucianism is, the, the Confucian society is not egalitarian. No. It's hierarchical. Right. And the higher the rank, the more important of a person you are, and the people down here don't matter. They're worthless. Mm-hmm. But in my view of Christianity, uh, Jesus says even, even the little bird has value. Mm. It's egalitarian. And, mm. and somebody said, well, you sound like a communist or at least a socialist. And I said, well, okay, fine. If that's what you think, fine. Mm. Um, I can't read the four Gospels in the New Testament and not come to this conclusion. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, and and, I, and I, I have asked people in my community to not call me pastor, uh, but just to call me Steve. Moksanim. Is well, it, that, yeah, Moksanim. Sometimes I get confused that, with the translation. Well, Moksanim is pastor, pastor yeah. or, you know, and that's the technical term for mm. someone in my position. Mm. But my church people call me Brother Steve or Steve, mm. which is just fine. That's incredible to have Korean people do I've that. Really, I've tried to nah. level that out and put as much value on the 11 year old kid who helps with the offering mm. as the person who's giving the sermon that day or saying a prayer you know what's most amazing about this steve is that you you live that life that i i've seen you do that over the years because it's very easy to have tonmouse and all these nice words and just to yeah. to preach these ideas but not live it and then live in an ivory tower or something yeah. but well what, i i recently had a big fail in all of that and i got crosswise with some folks who should be my friends and who i've now alienated because i got frustrated and popped off when I shouldn't have. So it's not perfect. And, and I recognize my failings. I've tried to apologize for them, and I, but I've, I've not asked for forgiveness because what I did was unforgivable. Mm. But I, I, I try, and I try every day. I try hard every day, mm. and I don't always make it. And, you know, but, you know, for the grace of God, maybe I will eventually. Mm. Uh, but but I, I, I try I try to do what I say to others to do. Mm. I, I'm not always successful. Um, I all I can do is keep trying. Yeah, and I keep trying. And I, you know, I, I feel horrible about what I did in my popping off to these friends of mine. Uh, but they're not. This ready is a to story that people yet. listening won't know anything they're, they're about. But no that, story, this but will I, come but, out. But it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, a friends that I was working together with on a committee, and and we got crosswise. And I, I was rude and boorish and, uh, and disrespectful, um, and I acknowledge that. And uh, one of these days, they may be willing to speak to me. Right now, we're not. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've kind of backed away and said, you know, I, I need to regroup and rethink, and I need to heal myself. Mm. Why did I get so angry and pop off? There's something else going on. So yeah. I, I've been trying to do that. And, uh, you know, but that's, it's human, you know, that's human. We, you know, 
Uh, I'm not f excusing myself by saying that. It's just, you know, we're, we're human, and we don't get it right most of the time. <laughs> we get it right some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> get it wrong most of the time. And uh, But, but I, thank you for saying that because that helps me heal a little bit from my, my uh, mm. hurt that I felt myself and caused. Uh, but it's genuine. But I, I've I said do it to you before. I do try. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I do. I, you know, I, 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 I'm not actively involved, in, for example, in supporting uh, being a, an ally with the LGBT plus 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 community. But but I am on their side. I've introduced you, you know, to members and, of and that I've community. Met some and of that community, yeah. and and uh, you know, I I I've talked with my folks at church, and, and again, I'm not really the pastor. I'm retired, mm -mm -mm. but but still, you know, one of the group. And I said, when our doors are open, our you know, the church always says, you know, visitors welcome or all are welcome. I say, mm. do we really mean all mm. or do we only mean some? Mm. And they oh, we mean all. And I said, so if a gay couple comes in hand in hand, it'll be okay. Oh, mm. well, well, I said, well, all or none. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as we've talked and thought, and they've said, well, yeah, there's no problem with that. Mm. We can do that. Mm. So, you know, we've tried to be a, we don't have, lots of those people coming to church because most of that community here in Korea have been ostracized from church and they're very hesitant to come back mm. for fear of, of what they have felt before. Yeah, uh, There are some who are advocates in this country, Koreans, mm -hmm. pastors, mm -hmm. who are doing some good work that way. And uh, uh, maybe in the new year, as I regroup what I'm doing with my time, maybe I'll do some more... Uh, community work there I don't know but uh, with uh, youth you know. with women with yeah. different members of community Steve you you've always done that work and you, you were just talking about Confucianism and and how that works in hierarchical things and when we were speaking to the gentleman that set this studio up for us and we were conversing all in Korean all yeah. three of us yeah. it was clearly established the rank between us and oh yeah you, well, you I, know it was clear and how I, I was speaking to you being deferential and there was I one know, two yeah. three I, I know yeah and yeah. I slipped right into that role yeah it's just it's it's the nature of the language it's the nature of of how we fit into society especially you and I as outsiders yeah. to yeah. the society originally and pragmatic you know, you, you do what everybody else does. That's how you learn. Uh, but but I'm not going to call the gentleman who set this up, even though he's younger than me. Yeah. I'm still going to call him Sajang Nim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like in the old days when I first came, you mm. go to a restaurant and, Agashi, you know, mm. you'd yell at the yeah. woman to come over. I had and, so much trouble doing that. Uh, As a British man, just oh, waiting to get their eye. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I know. Come on. And, uh, and, but, but these days we don't use agashi. It's, no. Now I say imonim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, so I said, well, what do I say to a guy? Yeah. Sajangnim. Sajangnim. Or just say, yogyo. Yeah. <laughs> Over yeah. here. <laughs> um, and I, I've got lots of Korean friends, church friends and otherwise. Yeah. And there's one family who have kids that are the same age as my grandkids in the States. Yeah. And I'm kind of their grandfather figure because their Korean granddads died before these boys were born. So they've never known a grandfather, mm. an older man, other than me. Mm. And I'm the same age that their grandparents, a little younger, but uh, but I'm, I'm as old as, I'd be old enough to be their dad's father. Mm. And But they don't call me grandpa. Mm. In English, they call me Steve. 
Nice. And that's fine. Yeah. Mm. And but in Korean they call me Moksanim. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what their parents have said. Yep. You know, when you're speaking in Korean and your friends are here, you need them to know and they need to be respectful of Steve and I don't argue too much. No. Because it's not worth arguing about. But when sometimes these two boys will bring some of their friends to a church activity or something mm. and uh, they come in and and uh, sometimes they'll spend the night at my house. I've got spare bedrooms, and so there's places. And yeah. I've got a couple of bathrooms, so there's places for them. It's right by the church, so they can participate in this day-long activity. And and uh, the, the one young grand, uh, you know, what do I call it, a temporary grandson or an adopted grandson? <laughs> he'll tell his friends, he says, now, when we're here in Steve's house, you can just call him Steve. Uh, imagine <laughs> but, that. But when we go to the church, you have yeah. to say Moksani. Yeah. <laughs> Relationships. Just so, but 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 Confucianism yeah. made sense. Yeah. To figure out, you know, what is our connection in society? Uh, we we have ranked societies everywhere. Yeah. In India, they had the caste system. Oh, I'm British. Right? I know all about ranked societies and lords no, and princes. Well, well, and then you know, in, in Britain uh, and other uh, kingdom-oriented countries, and and Britain's still the one that has the most probably of all of that. The European kingdoms are pretty thin now when yes. it comes to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I recently noted that they were wishing the Duke of Kent happy birthday. It's like we never heard of him <laughs> when the Queen was alive. You know, suddenly he's well, he's the senior member mm-hmm. of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, that makes sense. But he's not really a major royal. Um, but it's it's just interesting to see you know yeah. what's an earl what's a duke what's a you know and and uh, all the heraldry stuff. And, I like the uh, use of yang banners like as a, as a deprecating thing yang banner. Well, that, that, that that's always yeah, that's yeah. always made me giggle when I hear people well, use it, that. Well, and and it and it is deprecating because yeah. it's now safe to do that. Yeah, there's no law against it like there used to be. Uh, back in the old days, you could never be a lower person and, and criticize a Yangban. Mm. Oh. You, you know, you couldn't do that. Yeah, no, it's keep uh, your eyes to the ground. You keep your eyes to the ground. You, you never look at them, you know, whatever. And you still see a little bit of that. I remember when I was watching these videos about Kapdil um, or the physical abuse of power and oh, rank, yeah. and, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and people standing by would just watch it yeah, and oh, take I, it. Oh, I know, yeah, I know. And yeah. You, don't, you see that yeah. rank just manifest through it. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that's my... Yeah. A mild argument about Confucianism. Uh, let me uh, let me just pull this so. to one last, maybe one or two questions. Yeah. Because um, I have tests to go to, unfortunately. Um, you'll notice that I didn't look at this paper once. We, we I just noticed rattled, that. We just I, yeah, rattled well, off and see and where I, we I go. I kept mine folded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> can you tell me something about Korean youth? Because this connects to what we were just talking about. Because you've genuinely shown an interest in Korean youth. And it's so important. I'm trying to get across this. is not just good words or, you know, these empty, shallow things. But when you do your talks, you've got young people, you've got young school children, you do things with high school essay competitions. Yeah. When when I've got university students coming, you support them and give them the opportunities mm. to speak. And so mm. there's this genuine evidence history of you focusing on the youth, mm. right? Mm. And, and not just like trying to train them as such, but trying to let them express themselves and right. speak up. Right. Can you speak to me just briefly about Korean youth? Steve. Um, I, I suppose every generation could say there were 
troubled youth. You know, I mean, <laughs> I grew up during the hippie era, and marijuana was everywhere. And you know, so uh, you know, uh, my cousins were all long-haired marijuana smokers, and you know that kind of thing. So really, what was we had record? We had troubled youth in the '60s and '70s. Uh, kids today yeah. have so much demanding their attention. You know, and I, I think school has become almost secondary mm -hmm. <laughs> to all these other things that are trying to get attention. Um, you know, the, the, the smartphone video game stuff that everybody's doing something with, and um, there's, there's a, 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 a lack of relational things going on because the relationships through Facebook or other social media aren't the same kind of relationships. We have followers, not friends. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, it's when, when the best thing happens with kids at school is when they get the kids out there on the field playing soccer together, football. Mm -hmm. uh, soccer for my American people, football for the rest of us. Um, because you're, you're having to do things. And when you, when you see couple of young guys with their arms around each other walking down the street to the to the snack shop you know it's like okay they, they're friends they've got they've got a connection yeah. and then they get their snacks and they pull out their machines and do their video games sitting next to each other and not talking um, I instituted a rule at my son's house when when we're eating dinner we turn off the TV and we put our phones over on the counter mm. I've got a lot of flack from even my son about that but uh, you know, if I'm alone with the two grandkids and doing dinner, I said, no, we're turning off the TV. Yeah. My grandson was the biggest complainer about it. Oh, well, but I want to watch SpongeBob while we're eating. I said, no, I want to talk while we're eating. I'm only here for two weeks. Yeah. Yep. I got lots of catching up to do. Yeah. Um, kids in Korea, middle school kids have tests to pass to get to high school. High school kids have tests to pass to get to university. Yes. And their whole lives revolve around that. Uh, so when, when I've had opportunity, for example, with a school where we have a, a chapter of the RAS in Tongduchan, right. uh, it just kind of happened. We didn't go after it. It happened, and we took the opportunity to do more. Mm. Uh, we've got a group of 12 high school kids up there who have an interest in Korean history, mm. and uh, we, don't, we don't spend money to run this group. They're self Organized. There's a teacher who's their advisor, faculty advisor. That's important to have in the school system. It sounds like the and Nevis methodology. Well, it's a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they elect their own president. Connecting the dots. And, uh, you know, I, I keep in touch with the boy who's president, you know, and mm. suggest things. And, and uh, uh, I've, I've invited him as president to come th this year, especially since we got past COVID and we can get together. Yeah. Uh, we had a lecture at, at the RAS lecture series uh, a few months back with a retired Korean general, yeah. uh, General Chan In-bum. What a dude. And he's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I, yes. I invited our president, high school senior, you know, third-year high school yeah. student to come down from Dongducheon yeah. and, and have dinner with the general and me and then go to the lecture. And the general was fantastic with he's, him. He's great. He yeah. just took this young boy and asked him questions and – you know, well, what does your dad do? Well, and, and but General Chun, being a, a over sixty Korean commander, mm. sent him on some errands to you know, oh, go get me this or go get me mm. that. But that's yeah. you know, that's Korea. Uh, but he really was interested in this young boy, mm. and and 
engaging in in conversation. And that, that's the kind of opportunities that I think are so valuable. Some have said, well, but these kids won't become members and you know, they gotta go to college, they gotta get jobs. It doesn't matter, we've planted the seeds. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, we've introduced them to, uh, and several of them came to our uh, event at the British Ambassador's residence. That's right. For an for a 18-year-old Korean kid to meet the ambassador of the United Kingdom yeah. and shake his hand at his official residence, what a, wow, yeah. that's a big deal, it is. you know, because those are, that's an untouchable class. I mean, that's so far away from the normal mm -hmm. experience. I, you know, though, and to find out that, that Ambassador Crooks is just a really down-to-earth nice guy, it's like, oh, he, he was friendly to me. Well, yeah. yeah. That's he speaks the kind Korean. of guy he is, and he speaks Korean and he pretty used good. To live in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, so I've tried to encourage that group to, and and w I go up once a year and, and spend an afternoon with mm. a larger group of students, and, mm. and we have an event together. Some of the others of the RAS have been able to do that too. Um, and I think encouraging that kind of thing is really important. The the essay contest for high school kids that we do at RAS. Are the essays really quality writing? Not really. Mm. That doesn't matter. They're quality when you put it on a second or third grade at high school level. Yeah. They're pretty darn good essays. Yeah. Uh, but no, they're, they're not graduate school stuff. They're only high school kids. What do yeah. you expect? Yeah. Uh, and the English isn't flawless. No. Okay, that's all right. Uh, can they make a sound argument? <laughs> and they have a limited space to do it. Yeah. You know, so we've encouraged this group of, and we, we send these announcements to the international schools and the foreign language schools. Mm -hmm. um, we just don't have the people and staff and stuff to send it to all of the high schools in the whole country. But, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, we've, it's a little start. Uh, we've benefited from our young adult series that we've had now two years in a row from students that you have at, at your two universities where you teach. Mm -hmm. And... Are they college kids? Yeah, mm. they're college kids. Uh, they're not professors with is, degrees. Is, they have no degrees, they're not professors, and so that's okay. Yeah. And are their arguments fully developed and founded? Not always, but we've given this opportunity for them to get started. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, when probably when you were in school, I know when I was in school, you know, those kinds of opportunities were rare. I didn't give my first scholarly, I'll put that in heavy quotes, mm. paper to a society until well after university. Mm -hmm. I never had the opportunity. Mm. I was, it was the first time and I'm in front of all these potential critics. And, yeah. Whew, that was, had I had opportunities earlier on, might have been a little different story. I did okay eventually. Because the I mean, opportunities okay. are the best lessons. But, but, but doing, yeah. doing is where you learn, not yeah. just listening. Yeah. And, uh, when, when you can have a professor who's actually practiced the area that he or she's teaching, mm. that's the best kind of professor because I've, I've been in different classes in my educational career that professor will say, well, he says, you know, the textbook says thus, thus, and such, but, you know, in real life it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, and uh, so you get that, you know, the theory's one thing, the real life's another thing. And, and you, you know, just being out there, and so I... You know, through church, I try to do that. 
uh, by giving young people opportunities to read the Bible passage for the day or mm-hmm. help with the offering, sometimes even even give the offering statement, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, with Royal Asiatic Society to provide opportunities for younger people to participate, even in a limited way, yeah. but to participate in in a society that brings together, you know, people and has this history of uh, some of the most remarkable individuals of, of Korean yeah. studies that have ever walked the earth. Those are all good things, I think. So I, I try. You, yeah. in every one, you put the pulpit down on the ground for people to join <laughs> in, and you you don't uh, section it off or yep. kick away the ladder once you've already climbed no, up. No. And I, I think many people are very... <laughs> Uh, consciously try to do that or or maybe unconsciously but they try to uh, I I think they focus too much on themselves I don't know if I'll get this right but I'll try to to finish with one biblical phrase for you which has always stuck with me throughout my life and helped me I think it's Matthew 7 3 which is it is easier to see the moot in somebody's eye than the big stick in your own. We're very quick to see other people's faults and flaws yeah. and pick them out and yeah. without ever realizing what we might be uh, guilty of ourselves. And yeah. I'm, I, I often have to remind myself I, of that. Me too. I'm like, these people aren't going to, but no, 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 no. Yeah. Give them the opportunities because that's how they learn. Yeah. Raise them up and mm. let, them, let them be better than us, higher than us. Mm. Raise yeah. them up even further than we've gone, I think. I, uh, the two things I remember in that same vein. When you point a finger at somebody, how many fingers are pointed back at you? Oh, I like that. You know, I, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, yeah, yeah I like three that. Three fingers back at you. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was a quote from Henri Nolan, who was a Catholic priest in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, worked with uh, disabled people mm. all of his life in a special community house that he helped develop. Um, and and it, it's, did I make somebody's day better today? And for a long time, I had this posted on my door. Mm. So every time I went out, I saw it. Mm. And instead of being frustrated with the crowds, whether it be on the street or on the subway or whatever, it's like, you know, I can walk around with a smile on my face. And, and at, at the very least, people will be, you know, it'll be nice to see somebody smiling. Mm. They might think I'm crazy. You know, it's like, oh, I wonder what he's been doing. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. You know, it doesn't matter. And so I've tried not to take offense at the crowded nature of our city because it, it can be oppressive mm-hmm. at times. It mm-hmm. can be oppressive. Um, and uh, I do get tired. I do get frustrated at times. But I've always tried to think of those things and smile at someone. Just, you know, take a deep breath, Steve, you know. And... Uh, I don't take deep enough breaths most of the time. Make somebody's day better. Steve, today, you've made my day better. Well, thank you. Mine too. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. And relax. Are we done? Yeah.